This is the Food About Town podcast. My name is Chris Lindstrom and I'm your host. This episode is brought to you by the Food About Town studio. If you're looking to record your own podcast or do voiceover work, contact me at foodabouttown at gmail.com or come find me on social media. Already the host of an upcoming podcast, reach out to see if my setup would work for you. This is episode 42, where I talk to Chelsea Flint, who is a.k.a. Chela on every social media platform, from the Exilista podcast, and also one of the writers on Rochester Live. Uh, she's known as a Twitter personality here in Rochester. Um, we talked a little bit about meeting people from online, which is a weird phenomenon nowadays. And this kind of served as a drinking podcast. So we had a number of drinks throughout the uh, hour 45 runtime. Uh, we talked a little bit about her time working in a small business with her family, the food at the University of Rochester, where we both went. And we also talked about drinking and food in Disney, along with some Rochester topics, of course. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please give us a rating on iTunes and give us some feedback on social media, too. Thank you for listening. time in rochester um and i've got chelsea flint here hello and she goes by aka chayla on every social media platform that could exist yep pretty much um i'm very easy to spot same username red mini cooper red hair yeah you can find me online or in real life very easily so it's uh, what, what, what would you call yourself twitter famous um, I think, you know, I have over a thousand followers now, so I think I can officially say at least Twitter, like known. Tw- Twitter, um, infamous? In- yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so I have gotten messages. So I'm on OkCupid and I've gotten messages on OkCupid that are like, haven't I seen your tweets in a DNC article before? So yeah, I would say Twitter infamous is probably a good way to put it. <laughs> I'm not sure how to respond to something like that. Yeah, I, I'm not either. <laughs> I, I think the first thing I want to say is yes, yes, you did. And just that's it. And just respond. <laughs> that's why I'm still single. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I'm like, yep, <laughs> yes, that was me. My smart mouth gets me in trouble every single time. <laughs> um, so I listened to your interview on Paul Guglielmo's show, Mm -hmm. which I can't say without sounding like I'm swallowing his last name. The first time I heard his name, I thought my friend was joking. He was like, how about we get that googly Elmo guy? And I thought he meant like googly as in googly eyes and Elmo (laughs) as in Sesame Street. And I was like, that's a weird nickname. Turns out that's his actual name. (laughs) Turns out, yeah. It's still a little bit odd, but really nice guy. Oh, yeah. So ever since, and if you're listening to this, Paul, 
This is not a slight. <laughs> we love you, Paul. We love your sauce. I, I was <laughs> I listened to the whole to the whole interview and I really just want to throughout the whole time we talk refer to you as a real hipster. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing now. If you do it, then that'll officially be twice and then I think I can put it on my resume or at least on my website that I am an official hipster available for hire. We're here with a real life hipster. <laughs> I'm, let's see. I'm not I'm not wearing any... Oh, I'm wearing Argyle socks if that counts. I'm not wearing any plaid today, but I do have my Argyle socks. <laughs> I have my plaid scarf. I could go put that on. Oh, I, I just couldn't... I was just laughing. I'm like... <laughs> All right, let's let's cool it a little bit. <laughs> She's got some other stuff going on, not just a hipster. It's radio. You got to punch it up a little bit. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't, I don't punch things up. <laughs> At least I try not to. Um, but that that was a good one. I mean, you were talking about the twenty two hipster foods. Yeah, it was pretty entertaining. Yeah, I think so. It was, uh, and there were some things on there that I did not expect to be on there. Uh, yeah, it's like a, it's pickles. A weird... I don't like. I had a couple of people tweet at me, and they're like, "Pickles are totally a hipster food," and I. I don't know about that. I, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I definitely get it. Like in Buffalo, there's a place opening right now. I think it's called Barrel and Brine, or, and it's just pickles. J- wow, that's how you know Buffalo's on the up and up because they can oh, yeah. <laughs> they can support a restaurant that sells nothing but pickles. <laughs> yeah, it's just pickles, and it's you know all super artisanal and different flavors. Yeah. And I check that out. And I've been in bigger cities where they have like, oh, what are you what are you selling? I'm like pickle juice and sauerkraut juice. <laughs> We also sell the stuff, but people buy the juice. See, that's what I like about Rochester is I feel like we're, we have all the cool stuff of a big city, but none of the pretentious stuff. Yeah, not quite yet. Not that pickle... I, okay, I'm, fine. I'm going to go out there and say it. Pickle juice, like selling nothing but pickle juice is kind of pretentious. Okay, it is a little bit pretentious. Just a little bit. I mean, Although I love it, They They did espouse all the health benefits. Oh, but yeah, but that's like bone broth. My mom got into that bone broth phase for a while because she's like, oh, it's got collagen it'll get rid of my wrinkles and she made some and it was amazing it was really delicious but yeah. i'm like i don't you know i don't think this is going to do anything for your face i'm just going to eat it because it tastes good right and it's also called stock yes exactly <laughs> i mean it doesn't sound nearly as fantastical when you call it stock yeah instead of bone, bone broth. broth yeah really and you can charge so much more for it when it's bone broth with nothing in it you can sell like a cup of stock for nine dollars and be like oh it's bone broth no yeah. it's chicken stock or you can go to a uh, saigon pho or Nam Vang on Lyle Ave mm-hmm. and get a giant oh, bowl God. of pho. I love that place. They're both really cool places. Yeah, and the, pho, the pho place is amazing. So I can't remember which one I've been to because my coworkers take me every time. So they're right next to each other Okay. in the Lyle Ave Plaza? Yes. And I've been to the one on the very end. That's Saigon Pho. Okay. And that's, I work right around the corner from there, mm-hmm. so it's, that's an easy place for me to go for lunch. It's amazing. Yeah, it's really good. It's and one of those places where you can't read the menu and you're just like... Just Order something, it will taste good, I promise. Right, and I don't think anybody really knows about it still because it's one on Lyle Ave. Yeah. And people don't go to Lyle Ave. <laughs> um, and two, it's, I mean, Vietnamese is still a little under the radar. A little bit, I think. I mean, we've got we got C, which is popular, mm-hmm. and there's a couple other more accessible places, but all in all, people people really haven't explored it too much yet. Yeah. And well, don't, don't let on too much because more for me. No. <laughs> I love that place. Plus, they're just nice it's people. It's tiny. We don't want it filling up. No, I'm joking. <laughs> we don't they are, want They're them. super nice people. Every time yeah. I walk in there, I feel like they're judging me for being like the white lady who doesn't know how to pronounce anything because I just can't pronounce any English words, let alone foreign <laughs> languages. Uh, but they're super nice. And it's every time I go in there, the food is amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're just cool places. And it's just one of the more unique things because there's two right next to each other. Mm-hmm. Same plaza. I'm gonna have to. Tr- I've only tried the one. I'm gonna have to try the other one. Yeah, they're they're both nice places and definitely both worth trying. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you're you're kind of everywhere. You're you're you were on the radio not that long ago. I was on the radio. That was my first time on the radio. So yeah. now I'm super cool to all my friends. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have a podcast called Exilista where we talk about 
uh, somebody described it as the Seinfeld of podcasts. We talk about nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's three girls, so we tend to get into girly talk a lot. But it's not like it's... We actually have more male fans than female fans because we don't really aim it at like, oh, this is a lady podcast where we're going to talk about problems that only women have. We just kind of... this. I, that's what I tell everyone is when people tell me that they get grossed out by what we talk about, I'm like, well, that's how women talk when they're alone. Yeah. Like, or even when they're comfortable talking about it in front of guys, that's just, it's, we're not talking about it because we're women and we want to talk about women specific things. We just talk the way we normally talk. And it happens to include things that are a big part of our life because we're ladies. Sure. Um, so I, you know, that's what I warn everyone. I'm like, we talk about periods. Sorry, but not sorry because that's just how it goes. You know, I, I think that was the, for me, it was one of the refreshing things about it and that it was, I, w- I don't want to call it, it's not uncensored in a, we're just trying to be edgy kind of way. Yeah. It's uncensored in a, what people would always have, would have considered guy talk style radio. Yeah, except um, with girls. <laughs> right. Because yeah. it's just talking about whatever you talk about in the language you usually talk about it in. Mm-hmm. And it is exactly what it is. I think it helps that, so Kristen and I went to the Mercy, uh, where we didn't have to worry about censoring ourselves in front of guys. And Laura is just, she's awesome and she just doesn't give a crap because she's one of the most self-confident people i know and she's just like i'm just gonna talk about it and if you don't like it then too bad um so i think we have that advantage of just i mean our producer is male he's also kristen's husband so obviously he doesn't really care if we talk about any of that sort of stuff (laughs) but uh, i think we have that advantage of just being like oh we don't really care we're just gonna say it and if you like it then cool if you don't then fine it's one of those things you become desensitized to as a husband i think after a while um you know it's and it never it never really all this stuff never really bothered me, but the more you're now you're a husband and all the, all the pretenses are dropped. You're not dating anymore. You don't no. have to keep up appearances. It's all up on. Yeah. I mean, everything's there Yep. and weird stuff happens. You're pulling tampons out of strange places. I mean, wrapped ones out of strange, <laughs> strange places in your house. That sounded way worse. The second it left my mouth. You can say we soaked in vodka and then all this stuff happened. This um, is my goal. Every podcast I go on to to bring period talk to the other podcast. That's my ambassadorship. And I think really it works so well in the context of what we're doing here. Exactly. So now we can, now we'll talk about the best blood sausages in Rochester. <laughs> That's a good segue. I like that yeah, one. Right? Uh, so, um, we've been talking online for a while, and this is I think the third time we've actually met up in person. I think so. Yeah, and the second time was a complete accident. Yeah, complete <laughs> actually, the, accident? the first time I think was a first time was a complete. Yeah, accident. I think every actually now that I think about it, every single time. Yeah, because you ran into me at the Owl House, and then we ran into each other at the Landmark event. Yep, and then we ran into each other at Joe Bean. Right. So it's always just been complete accident. No complete accident. Yeah. Because why? But that's do, what's also about Rochester. Yeah. Why do anything on purpose? Exactly. Things just tend <laughs> to happen. That's my life motto. <laughs> <laughs> so, we we were talking online, and we've we've talked online for a while, and. I think somebody brought up, and what we're actually enjoying right now is coffee liqueur, and we're like, let's yes. do a drinking podcast. Yes. And so we're going to drink some stuff mm-hmm. and see how weird it gets. <laughs> I, I'm I'm a little bit leery about the whole thing. I mean, so I, I will say I'm pretty experienced at this now, because I did a, a drinking podcast for Exilista, and then we did a drinking uh, episode of Rochester Live, which is a Ryan. YouTube show that I work on. Um, so because Chelsea is everywhere, I'm everywhere. So I will tell you from experience that, uh, things will get weird, but you won't care because you're drunk. (laughs) See, I think the weird, the thing for me, it's not that things get weird. It's that I've never been drunk before. Really? Yeah. Okay. So I've, I've had three drinks in an evening. Okay. And you get a little bit. Yeah. You get a little woozy. Right. But 
I've never had more than that in an evening. Well, there's a first for everything. So I think we're we're gonna see what happens. And Don't see let how me far peer pressure get. you though. I feel very pressured. <laughs> I think it's an intimidating nature. I've only met two guys that I couldn't keep up with in terms of drinking. So oh no, yeah. I'm I guarantee that you can keep <laughs> up with me, and I I have no. It doesn't bother me at all because I have very little experience. Mm-hmm. I have a so I joke with everyone that I am uh, Native American, English, Irish, and German. So I am basically built for drinking. My people come from a very hearty drinking stock. Absolutely, one way or another. Yeah, pretty much. Some may be more destructive, but that's yeah, okay. Yeah, you know, we won't talk no, about that. Sweep that under the rug. It so goes so far back, so many generations. It's like people ask me what I am, and I'm like, I'm American. Yeah. It's, so what, what are we enjoying right now? Uh, so what we are having right now is a coffee liqueur, which was made by my friend Kit. And she made it for Christmas. And it was really funny because she thought I wasn't going to like it. Or she wasn't sure if I was going to like it. So she, I went over to her house and she let me try some of hers. And I said, this is amazing. And she immediately pulled out a bottle of it and went, okay, good. Here's your Christmas present. <laughs> um, so she made it by taking a handle of vodka and soaking coffee beans. You know how you, you've, if you've ever seen how they do like those infused vodkas where they do like skittles in the vodka and then they strain it yeah Um, yeah, you get all the crazy colors yeah 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 uh which i've tried that by the way and it's disgusting (laughs) it it looks it looks really terrible it tastes like cough syrup oh my god Uh, so she took i think uh i want to say like a whole bag of coffee browns grounds to a thing of a handle of vodka if that's not right then i will tweet the correct formula um (laughs) and soaked it for like a month just let it infuse and then strained out the coffee grounds and added simple syrup to taste which i think it tastes great i know you watered yours down a little bit because it was a little bit sweet for you i did but actually Um, now that i have it kind of gets the gets the um sweetness level of you know a a nice soda yep and that for me that hits the perfect balance Mm -hmm. and for me i put sugar in my coffee anyway so for me this just tastes like my sugared (sighs) i know i know i'm one of those people i need to do it again (sighs) um it's force of i've tried black coffee i can't do it completely black because it's too acidic for me so i put a little bit of cream in it and it just i with a little bit of cream i need a little bit of sugar it just doesn't feel right otherwise it it does make it very easy and i just i've i'm so far gone from that now Mm -hmm. where i don't ever have Milk or sugar? If it's good enough coffee. Uh, somebody told me that I need to try Fuego. They said that it was that you physically cannot get cream or sugar in that shop and that you don't need it. Oh, you definitely can. And well, it's it's just like just like Joe Bean. It, yeah. It's available. They just don't like to advertise it, right? Yeah. And and you know Tony over there, uh, Tony Colon and his wife Renee, they're really good people. Mm-hmm. They do make very good coffee. And um, if you have you haven't been yet, uh, I've not been to Fuego. Yeah, I've been to Joe Bean. Yeah. It's it has a completely different vibe than Joe Bean or Poor. Mm-hmm. It's definitely more urban. I could see that. Uh, because of the Just location. Just because of the location, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's on Liberty Pole in the city. Yeah. Um, and it's a it's a place that I feel very comfortable in, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, it's a different clientele. Mm-hmm. And I think it's been helped a lot. They actually expanded a little bit recently, and mm-hmm. they're doing more expansion. Because before, it was like a galley mm-hmm. where there were maybe eight seats. And no so space to really tiny. stand around, yeah. eight to ten seats. And if there was a group there, you felt like you were imposing. And now there's a yeah, little more space. That. Yeah. Isn't that the worst? Yeah, you're like, ah, don't let me intrude on your party here. I just want to get some coffee. Where, while I'm here at a business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't their fault. They had a really tiny space. Yeah. But now they've expanded a little bit and they're doing some more. Um, and they're actually bringing, uh, sounds like they're bringing Orange Glory in to do oh, sandwiches, nice. too. That'll be awesome. So it'll be a nice lunch spot in mm-hmm. the city. and Which I th- we need more of. Yeah, and it's, I had some of the food the other day, and it's it's really solid, good 
good, simple food. Mm-hmm. And so I'm actually really excited for what they're doing because they're kind of becoming a better place to hang out. Which is important for a coffee shop, I think. It's you got to have the seating. you got to have a place for people to hang out. As much as you don't want people to sit there and hang out for four hours and only buy one cup of coffee, you have to have a place for people to sit. Yeah, and that kind of is a thing. I know poor gets a lot of people sitting around all day. Yeah, I think it's a favorite laptops. with like U of R and St. John Fisher and other college students where they're like, oh, this is cute for me to come sit and do my homework, which is fine when you're on the campus Starbucks and they you know, they've got a constant flow of people in and out for classes and you can camp there all day if you want to. No one's going to care. But at an independent coffee shop, yeah. it's, I, don't, I always I'm conscious of that because my parents used to be small business owners and we didn't you know, have any seating where people could camp. But I'm conscious of the fact that like if I'm sitting there for a couple hours, I should go buy another cup of coffee or some tea or just sure. it's just something just yeah. even if it's a couple bucks just to show that like I'm not going to freeload off you for ever and ever. So I'm going to take my first tangent of the podcast, which, yes, I mean, there's always tangents on my podcast. Um, so growing up as the child in a small business household. Well, so this actually started when I was in college. Oh, you have um, nothing. You, you have nothing I know. to talk about. <laughs> um, uh, my mom did. She, although I will say, so she worked for small businesses a lot when I was growing up. Uh, when I was very little, she had a, a business selling. Uh, she made children's clothing and she sold it at festivals. Uh, and then she worked for Xerox for a bit. Um, but when I was... When we lived in California, she worked for a fabric distribution company, which wasn't that small of a business, but it had that small business feel. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when we moved back here, she worked for a couple independently owned yarn stores. Um, So I always uh, had that experience of because I would go hang out. Like, you know, I was a latchkey kid or she'd come pick me up and I'd go hang out at the yarn store and and I would knit while she was helping customers and I'd help out and make sample pieces for the store. Um, so I, I did kind of grow up in that small business world and seeing what it was like. And obviously a yarn store is completely different than the food industry. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's it's tough. It's tough out there to be a small business owner and uh, the food industry even more so. <clears throat> so your mom was actually a, one of the was it a cupcake shop? It was a cupcake shop. We so owned of, uh, From Scratch Cakery in Fairport, which okay. was open from 2011. To, uh, no, that's not right. Uh, what was it? 2010 to 2013, I think, was when we were open. I mean, it was it was such a time. It was a fad. And it was Huge. my mom was smart enough to realize we, we got out about six months ahead of the bubble bursting. Um and that, I think, you know, it was a multitude of factors that went into our closing. It was my dad's job was up in the air. Um, it was expand or, you know, put a lot of money into it and expand or close. It was a matter of not being able to find good help. Um, it was a matter of cupcakes are a fad. And, you know, we did specialty cakes as well. But uh, you can't, there's, the specialty cakes are a dime a dozen in Rochester because you can do that out of your house if you get a special permit. Right. Um, so it's a very competitive industry. So it was something where uh, it was fun while it lasted. And I'm glad we did it and I learned a lot from it, but I think it was smart to get out when we did. I mean, for sure. I mean, it was such a fad. I mean, we saw recently, I think it was this last week or the week before in the DNC where they talked about the yogurt Frozen thing. yogurt, yeah. Um, Which, in my opinion, was a really silly fad in Rochester. but <laughs> It was. I mean, but it had hit elsewhere, and then it came here, and it went so fast, mm-hmm. so hard. And there were yogurt places where there was a yogurt place on one corner yep. and a yogurt place on the other corner. And, like, nobody can eat that much of that stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's – I feel like in Rochester, you know, it's cold. We've got Abbott's. Um, a lot of people, I think, were drawn to drawn to the frozen yogurt craze because the self serve ones were advertised as a turnkey sort of business where you didn't need to have a lot of help, um, which is great because then you have low overhead. But then everyone else wants to get in on the game as well. 
And ironically enough, when the econ- you know the economy is doing a lot better, so that actually it hurt us and it hurt frozen yogurt places and anywhere that's a small luxury. Um, cause I, I think, I think they call it the lipstick effect is that when the economy is bad, sales of cosmetics actually go up because really? you don't, you don't make a lot of big purchases. Um, but you, you know, if you're not doing too well, too well, you still want a little luxury to make yourself feel good. So you'll go buy like a $10 lipstick and it's, it's not a big purchase, but it, you know, it changes your look a little bit. It makes you feel good about yourself. It's a small indulgence in yourself that you can feel good about for a little money. Um, so I think that's kind of what we experienced is that cupcakes were, that small indulgence where people, you're having a bad day. You want, you just want to stress eat. You want to go on your way home from work and pick up some cupcakes or come surprise your family. Right. Like, Hey, I brought home cupcakes. Um, so it was very much something where, uh, as the economy improves and people start saving or spending money on bigger things, um, they don't go out and buy those little luxuries as much. They start setting their sights on bigger things and, you know, dieting is always a trouble when you're in the cupcake industry. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> We'd have people drop off the face of the planet and they'd come back in months later and they're like, yeah, I'm trying to eat better, which I can sympathize with. But of course. Yeah. Kind of yeah. sucks when that's your business is selling people <laughs> unhealthy things. <laughs> yeah, that, that could be slightly problematic. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the whole small business world is it's very interesting. And I mean, I grew up in one from when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. So it was always part of my life. Mm-hmm. And I could see how, especially, you know, coming into a little later and... Were you involved in all? Or I was. You... I actually, so we started it over the summer and I was actually working an internship at a software development company in town. And, uh, I had the opportunity, my mom, you know, I wasn't really happy with the internship. I didn't really feel like I was learning a lot and I felt kind of in over my head, um, at the same time, which is ironic. Um, I just kind of felt like I'd been thrown at this project that I didn't really have a lot of support and it was very much overwhelming me. And I was kind of realizing that that wasn't the path I wanted to take with my career. So my mom gave me this out basically. And she was like, look, uh, quit the internship, come help me open the bakery. I'll pay you. Uh, you can work for me full time. Um, so I ended up leaving and going and helping her start the bakery and then working there full time over the summers and part time while I was at school. And then when I graduated, I went back full time for about three or four months until I found a, a, a more technically oriented job. Um, but so yeah, I was there pretty much from the beginning working there almost full time. Uh, and it was, it was great. I, I put it on my resume and, you know, it's, it doesn't really fit in with the rest of my experience cause it's a cupcake shop and people ask about it. And I'm like, honestly, I think I learned more there than I could at any corporate environment because you, you see all aspects of it. I think that's the biggest thing is it really changes your perspective on how the world works, mm-hmm. how people work. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it changed your, your idea of how, what work is. Yes. I mean, I, I grew up, you know, going, you know, working nights mm-hmm. after school mm-hmm. and working all summer and doing all that stuff. And it's, I think you get a certain appreciation for the hard work of doing the regular things. Yes. And that's the thing is, uh, you know, because it was a cupcake shop, we'd, shop, we'd get people who'd come in and they'd they'd apply for a decorator position and they'd be like, oh, it's going to be great. I'm going to frost cupcakes and cakes and it's going to be so much fun. And I, you know, you get housewives who are like, oh, I do this at home all the time. Um but it was really, you know, it's not like a line kitchen, but it's a kitchen environment. It is fast paced. It is stressful. Uh, you, you know, if you have time to lean, you have time to clean. You are constantly yeah. and you're doing everything, especially because it was such a small business. Uh, my dad would work there on Saturdays and he's got two, he's got an MBA and a master's degree and he would still be there putting cupcakes out and doing dishes and helping out however he could. And even though I was, 
you know, I would do a little bit of everything. I would do decorations. I would manage the front end. I'd run the register. I'd still be pitching in and chopping up butter and washing dishes when it needed to get done because you just do what needs to be done. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the things you realize early and often is you do what it takes mm-hmm. and you can't have any pride. You do whatever is going mm-hmm. on, whether it's cleaning, whether it's, I mean, like for me, it was all greenhouse and Christmas trees, whether it's, you know, running the chainsaw, whether it's selling, whether it's, you know, loading dirt into things, mm-hmm. whether it's planting, you, you do whatever it takes. There can't be any job that's beneath you, which was no. the thing that a lot of people, they're like, oh, well, who cleans? Well, we do. Everyone does. Yeah. We we do the dishes, we sweep, we clean whatever needs to be cleaned. Like, that's that's how it works. There's no cleaning lady that comes in after you. No. Um, so, yeah, that that's, it's an odd experience. And I, I like talking to people that have experienced it in some way or another because mm-hmm. it, I think it definitely colors your perspective. Mm-hmm. But I think, and for me, it was a little bit different, and I'm sure you had the same thing because it was your family that owned it. Right. Um, but that's, I've always, I've loved, always loved that small business, family-owned business feel because I feel like you're very connected. Um, you have a vested interest in the company, and, you know, every corporate job I've ever worked, I've always felt kind of disconnected and, like, you know, if I do this, it doesn't really matter because I'm just a cog in a machine. Whereas with a small business like that, you feel like everything that you do has a direct impact on the business. Absolutely. And the customers have a direct impact. Mm-hmm. So when you go and support a small business, which I'll make this the slight pitch of the day, <laughs> um, when you support a small business, you are actually affecting their lives. Absolutely. In a positive way. Yes. And most You're, of the time... You might spend two bucks, but you could be their difference between breaking even and breaking a profit that day. Yeah. And sometimes even if you're not making money, it's the fact that people are showing up and mm-hmm. the fact that you're getting customers just makes the, a world of difference mm-hmm. when nobody shows up, how depressing it is. Yeah. It's awful. You're sitting there like, well, we've got all these people working that I did not make any money to pay today. Uh-huh. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, so I think we're going to take our first break because I need my drink number two. I'm already done with my coffee and I'm <laughs> starting to talk faster. And <laughs> it's going to get you wired. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break and... I'm going to get drink number two. All right. So we've moved on to number two. Um, yep. Jingle what? as best I can. <laughs> Wait, can we do Can we do this? No, it's no. Not, not, it didn't work. That's okay. So I moved on Insert to... Insert clinking noise here. <laughs> right. I need to go into After Effects and put in some interesting <laughs> noises. I need a soundboard. Car I have, horn. Let's see, I was gonna say I don't have a soundboard, but I do have this on my phone. This is this is the only sound effect I can give you for the entire episode. Okay, let's do it. Uh, hang on. Oh, I gotta. Uh-oh. Oh. <laughs> That's great. I have an app on my phone that does nothing but that, which is obviously very useful. Of course. Yeah. So for driving your friends crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so Chelsea has continued to uh, go with the coffee liqueur. Yep, I'm gonna uh, stay up all night. And <laughs> for sure, be wired. Yep, and I switched just fully to, committed. I switched uh, going a little bit local. I switched to a black button gin Negroni. Oh, very nice. So, Negroni which, is one of those drinks that's very fancy, and I have no idea what's in it because I don't drink them very much. Mm. I'm, I'm not. I'm. I would love to try it. Yes, please do. Um, I used to think I didn't like gin. Oh, that's really good. I like gin. Um, yeah. So I, d- I used to think I didn't like gin because the first thing I tried was a gin and tonic, and it turns out I don't like tonic. Oh yeah, I love um, it personally. I, th- I like. I don't know what it is. To me, it tastes like like biting into a palm tree covered in like that bitter yuck stuff. 
that you <laughs> use to get your pets off of it. Like, well, not that I've ever tried that, but that's how I imagine it would taste is like a Christmas tree that a dog is not supposed to eat. Yeah, it definitely. Um, I mean, tonic has a bitter taste and it's from the yeah. um, quinine, which mm-hmm. is the main ingredient. So I can do like gin. And now I've discovered I can do like gin and sodas. I can do mixed drinks with gin in them. I love any drink that's got like gin and St. Germain and like cucumber or citrus. I am all over that. Those I are love super girl friendly. Oh, I love them. I mean, though. no, no offense, I mean, of course, but it's their their palate is very. Um, the palate of those drinks is very easy. Yes, you can drink a lot of them without knowing you're drinking a lot. But that's what I like. So uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Richardson's in Pittsburgh or Bushnell's Basin. No, I haven't. Um, it's really good. It's kind of an older richer crowd like i go there with my parents mm-hmm. um and i feel like i show up with my parents and i'm just wearing what i'm wearing now which is like jeans and a hoodie and i will feel terribly underdressed because everybody else is wearing lily pulitzer dresses and talking about their chest funds and i'm like i came here for the delicious steak <laughs> uh, but they've got it's gorgeous location right along the canal and last summer they had this drink called the canal side which uh, i believe was vodka saint germain cucumber uh, lime and club soda. Oh yeah, sure. And it was it was amazing. It was like drinking a lightly alcoholic cucumber lime water, and when one of those disgusting ninety degree days, it was light enough that you could drink five of them and not get like completely wasted. But it was just super refreshing, and just sitting there sipping that along the canal was amazing. Yeah. So I like I like it. I do like that they're they are a lighter pale and they're very drinkable because I think over the summer, anything like that is fantastic. Yeah. See, for summer, I tend to edge towards more aggressive flavors, mm-hmm. which is why for me, a Negroni is a, a great drink. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just tried it. It's yeah, not, it's good. It's not timid. No. So the way I do the Negroni, it's so traditionally it's a, I don't know. Have you made a lot of cocktails yourself before? A fair amount. I've, I consider myself a little bit of a mixologist. Oh yeah. Look at that. <laughs> you, you didn't bring your vest today. I did not. No, <laughs> I, I can't do any of the fancy tricks. I just, like to drink it but <laughs> you're not we've got Tom. a couple family recipes for drinks which i've been told will get you fucked up oh I've, there you go pardon my french oh whatever i don't <laughs> it's that's one of those things like i don't i don't care if people swear in here i don't usually by practice but mm-hmm. like i don't care it doesn't bother me at all that's good yeah which is why why worry about it <laughs> it's the internet um, you can say anything yeah, exactly um so negroni the typical recipe it's a one 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 recipe mm-hmm. my um, favorite kind super easy s- yep um one part gin one part sweet vermouth, mm-hmm. one part Campari. Okay. So that's what's bringing the bitter. Yep. But and it's very, it's subtle. It, it, it It's not overpowering. It enhances the drink, but it's not like, oh my God, this is so bitter. When it is a one-one-one ratio, mm-hmm. it tends to be a little more sweet. Mm-hmm. I actually go two on the gin and one on the others. Mm-hmm. So it makes it a little bit lighter. Um, and lets the gin stand out a little more. So that's that's what I have here and. I did use the black button forward uh, citrus forward gin for that. I do. That's one of my favorite gins that I've ever tried because it's really tasty. I'm not a traditional gin person. I like the citrus forward flavor. Yeah, it's it's tasty and especially in this. I mean the the citrus citrus goes really well with the bitterness and mm-hmm. kind of red fruity taste of Campari. I feel like with the citrus because it's a very orange orangey gin in my opinion, and with the bitterness, it kind of reminds me of like something that's got orange rind in it or mm-hmm. orange zest. So it's got that like slightly bitter citrusy orange. Yeah, it's it's hard not to like. Yeah. Mm. Now I want to drink that all night. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't judge you. <laughs> so, um, now I wanted to come back and talk a little bit about. Um, so we both went to the U of R for college. Mm-hmm. And Meliora. Uh, yeah, Meliora <laughs> all day, every day. Um, the food experience at the U of R. 
Oh, I know that there there was a several year gap between when we both attended, but uh, so what what were your years? So I was there from 2008 to 2012. Oh, God. <laughs> Making you feel old right now, yep. I feel like. <laughs> so I, yeah, I graduated in 05. <laughs> so I've actually been meaning to go back. Actually, I talked to the at some point. I want to go back and I, w- I actually want to review the campus food. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, prepare yourself. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm excited just because I don't know what to expect anymore. It, honestly, uh, when I was there, it changed so much just in the four years that I was there that my freshman food experience was completely different than as a senior. Okay. Um, because I don't know if when you were there they had Hillside, which was a little cafe in Susan B. Anthony. It, the first year it was there was mm-hmm. my last year there. Okay. So it was like '05 when it started. So when I started there, uh, it was a little cafe that had uh, it was like coffee. And they had a small food area and then like some grab and go sort of stuff. That's what it was. Yep. Yeah. So they did omelets until about 11 in the morning and then they would switch over to quesadillas uh, until four and then they would close and reopen at like eight or so, I want to say. And then at eight, they would start doing the quesadillas again. And then they would, at 11 o'clock at night, they would switch back to omelets until two in the morning. So you could get late night omelets. Wow. And it was the best thing ever the quesadillas were really good too because they used um they didn't actually fry them they used one of those like the like the thing that they use at burgers to make the breakfast bagels like I can't, it has a name that starts with an i that i can't remember but it's the oven with the rollers that it just kind of rolls through. oh yeah yeah yeah. okay um it has a name but i can't remember what it is um so they would actually put everything on the big open tortilla all the cheese and all the <laughs> toppings and then they just roll it through this oven and then when it came out the other end they would fold it in half and melt it together so it kind of came out like a bake like very baked quesadilla like the tortilla got really crispy and it yeah, was yeah. very good uh but late night omelets were like that's probably how i i don't think i put on my freshman 15 but i at least put on some freshman weight because it would be <laughs> twelve thirty at night and me and my roommate would be like fuck it omelet time like we're stressed we're gonna go eat a ham and cheese omelet oh, at yeah. twelve thirty at night that sounds fantastic um, and then it only lasted for one year. They actually renovated it and they put in uh, more grab and go stuff and uh, they changed it to do a panini bar, which was awful because the paninis took about half an hour to get made because they oh only no. could make like two or three at a time. That's ridiculous. So it all stack up and it would take you forever. And then you would get to the point where, cause there were only about four different paninis you could order. Somebody would get impatient and just steal your panini off the bar while you weren't paying attention. <laughs> so then you'd have to wait an hour for them to remake it. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> or wait for theirs to come up. Cause they'd call your, someone's name and somebody else would just come up and grab it. And then you'd be hanging around like, so where's my panini? You're like um, Steve. And then you reach yeah. over and grab it. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. I never, did it uh i i know people who had their panini stolen um and then my senior year they renovated it once again because it was owned by aramark so they tried to uh, aramark yeah they had this thing called provisions on demand or the pod which was basically like a mini grocery store okay um so they took out any they didn't do any sort of food on demand it was just like a little mini mart grocery store sort of thing that was open 24 7 so was the corner Um, store around still they they got the corner store was there but when they renovated hillside into the pod they got rid of the corner store okay. they, that replaced the corner store um the corner and it was store. funny because they you know aramark's whole thing was that it's called the pod by aramark but you know at u of r they can't change the name of anything because right. people keep calling it by the old name so of course. it became the pod at hillside because nobody would stop calling it hillside oh yeah <laughs> yeah um so it was i i was i was a senior and i was sitting on campus like talking to these freshmen i'm like back in my day we had midnight omelets at Subi and it was amazing and they're like okay grandma like yeah. whatever but it was I, I missed that. That see, was the best food thing on campus, I yeah. think. See, back in my day, uh, it was the pit, mm-hmm. and there wasn't it wasn't nice. Yep. 
So Oh, did you my senior year they changed they tried to change the name of the pit. It's the Commons now. Oh, it's the Commons. Yes. But we still call it the pit. Well, of course. <laughs> but didn't didn't they have it night was it nice when you got there? Uh no, it was still like the creepy dark dingy brick thing with the blimpy and the creepy like grocery store tuna oh, or sushi. Good, and, yeah. good. But then my senior year was when they renovated it and they turned it into the commons and they put in a Panda Express and a or maybe that was my sophomore I can't remember if it was just my senior year or junior and senior year. Um, but they definitely renovated it. Yeah, because it turned Made it more a, open. Yeah, it yeah. turned into a much more bright place. Because yes. before it was, you know, are you gonna slip on the grease on the floor when you walk <laughs> in? Um, it was like the inside looked like the outside of RET. Like it was just all brick. <laughs> oh, I really wish my wife was here. She would really hate that. And I would laugh a lot. Hey, my brother and my dad both went to RET. I worked there for a year. It's a great school. No accounting for it's bad just taste. got so much goddamn brick. Oh, it's so much. It's really so much. I walked around there once and I'm like, nope, not going it's there. It's very, I think uh, it kind of reflects having worked at RIT and attended U of R, I kind of, you know, obviously I didn't take any classes at U of R, but I kind of saw it from both sides because I talked to my student workers and U of R is very uh, research university, very theoretical. Um, I took a film, uh, I have a film degree and I never once got behind a camera or did any sort of practical production work. Also it was, it was everywhere, all, not just engineering? Yes. And it, it was a lot of different disciplines. RIT is a lot of engineering or arts and it's very uh, practical aimed at getting you into the workforce and getting you a job. U of R is like lofty academia and RIT is like, you want to make money. Let's get you some co-ops. Right. Cause I never, they never helped me get anything. Mm-hmm. And I did, I had a theoretical engineering degree mm-hmm. where I had two labs, the entirety of college Yes, and had zero hands-on experience. Yep. And the only reason I knew anything was because I grew up in a small business doing mm-hmm. like work. I took so I did film and media and computer science. I did not take. I managed to graduate without taking a single practical film class. It was all theory, <laughs> and in terms of computer science, ninety percent of my like practical programming experience came from internships that I had because it was. This was the thing I hated was uh, you were. They tried to avoid cheating, uh, mm-hmm. which in terms of computer science boiled down to the most ridiculous rules of you weren't allowed to code. You weren't allowed to work on your homework with anyone else. You weren't allowed to write code with anyone else. Uh, if you wanted to <clears throat> collaborate on homework or assist each other, you could get together and write on a whiteboard or a piece of paper. Uh, but you were not allowed to take pictures of the whiteboard. And if you had to rip up the piece of paper once you were done, you were not allowed to write any actual code and actually write it down. You could only talk in theory. And then you had to destroy all evidence of what you'd written. So right, that you did not write the same code. Because that's how it works in a job environment. Right. And a lot of computer people write on paper and whiteboards. Yes. So that was my biggest beef was I feel like that... Uh, you know, I understand that they were trying to prevent you from cheating, but I feel like that really put me at a disadvantage. And I think that it should have been project and group oriented and it should have been, okay, you can get together with three of your classmates and come up with a solution to this together because that's how it works. But, you it know, makes that's, so much more sense. That's, uh, you know, I've, I've been out of that for three years and I could barely remember how to program now. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah I, it I does. No, it, it makes more sense when you think about how it's going to work from a job perspective. Yeah. I have no math and engineering abilities anymore. Yep. I mean, I learned a lot of calculus and engineering formulas mm-hmm. and everything else, and I have no ability to do any of that anymore. I was telling somebody about uh, my linear algebra class the other day, and I... Sure, it's good times. And I thought back on it, and I was like, how did I do this? Oh, yeah. I have no idea how I once had this knowledge in my brain. Yeah. Even ca- even simple calculus, I was trying to help... I don't know. I was trying to help somebody with something, and I, it was something about derivatives, and I was just sitting there staring at it, and I was like, yeah, I've got nothing. Yeah, and those were so easy. Yeah, they were second nature when you were in high school it and was college. Cakewalk, yeah. yeah. Um, Nowadays, I'm like, uh, I need a calculator to multiply. 
So, yeah, when when I was there, food in the pit was, you know, it was trying not to get yelled at by the dining workers. Yep. Um, you always had that fear the first time you ordered something new because you're like, I don't, you'd have to sit there and watch the upperclassmen go up and order it and then be <laughs> like, okay, now I know what I'm doing. Because yeah. if you went up there and you didn't know what you were doing, you were going to get screamed at by the pit workers for holding up the line. Right, you yelled at, and there was always there was a method to the to how things worked, mm-hmm. but it was always non. It wasn't something you would ever say in a real business. Mm-hmm. Like the sub workers would say, you know, what do you want on your like what you want on your bread? Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, what 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 the hell are you talking <laughs> about? If you had if you hadn't hadn't been there a hundred times, I think my favorite experience ever was I don't know if this was there when you were there, but uh, Douglas had the kosher deli. Yeah, they yes. just started right at the end. My favorite thing to do was because I always did orient. I always liked moving in early because it was easier because there weren't a lot of people around. So I always volunteered for orientation. So I'd be there for a week when there was no one there but freshmen. Oh yeah, and they had to figure everything out. And so I'm in line at the kosher deli, and this became my favorite thing every year. After this, I would just go hang around in Douglas and wait for this to happen again because it happened multiple times. Uh, but this kid gets up to the and I c- I can sympathize. So I went to Catholic schools. Um, I there was a large Jewish population at U of R and I remember talking to one girl in my hall and being like, you know, you're the first Jewish person I've ever met. And it blew her mind. She's like, no way. And I'm like, well, I went to 12 years of Catholic schools right. and I live in a very waspy neighborhood. Like I knew so, one family that were my family friends. Yes. And that was it. Like for me, everyone I knew growing up was Catholic or Protestant. So yeah, I wasn't, Buffalo. yeah, that's how it works. Yeah. When I was at U of R, I kind of got a lot of knowledge of Jewish holidays and customs that I didn't have before. Um, so I can understand how a freshman would come to U of R and not understand what kosher food is, but he <laughs> goes up to the kosher deli and he goes, can I get a ham and cheese sandwich? <laughs> and he's like, the guy's just like, no, no, we don't have ham. So the kid's like, okay, well, can I get uh turkey with provolone? And the guy just looks at him and goes, Boy, this is a kosher deli, and I <laughs> lost it. Oh, that would that would be one of the I happiest things so, ever happened. I felt to me. so bad for him because everyone oh. behind him in line was like, "Come on!" But it was just the funniest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. Oh, that would be the best thing ever. Oh, crap! Because just... of course, the man who's behind the counter is not kosher. No, not at all. No. <laughs> but it was just oh, it was great. And now because I order a ham and cheese sandwich usually when I go to Debella's or ham and cheese subs, so now every time I go there, all I can, every time I place that order, all I can think is, boy, this is a kosher deli. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me very happy because <laughs> we we had some terrible experiences, like when we were when we were asshole freshmen, mm-hmm. and we were on um, we were on blocks. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not sure blocks existed later on. I don't think so. So you were it does given, not sound familiar. You were given blocks, which were essentially meals, mm-hmm. and you were given X amount of meals. Per oh week. yeah, we had club meals. Right, it, it kind of turned mm-hmm. into that. This was a little more free form, mm-hmm. and you had to spend a certain amount in the week. Yep. So which would be awful. <laughs> right. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm not that hungry. I'll save it for later. Mm-hmm. No, no, you had to spend it all that mm-hmm. week. So which is how they get your money. Right, and they get you. They force you into way too much food. Yep. So what we started to do um, was we would go on the last day before our blocks expired, and we would order whole pizzas <laughs> from the pit pizza place. <laughs> and oh, the looks and under the mouth yelling <laughs> at us that these guys would do. That's amazing. When you walked in, like, can we have four pizzas, please? <laughs> and there's. And it was like eight or nine o'clock, and oh my god! But you had that feeling that you had to get your money's worth because when I was there, 
I think we did the math in a club meal because we had the club meals. Yeah. Um, a club meal was worth like ten or eleven dollars, depending on ridiculous. what meal plan you had, and uh, the declining dollars would roll over from fall to spring semester, but not the club meals. And I was like, I'd rather, you know, I'm sure my at the time my parents are like, well, uh, you know, we'd rather that we weren't wasting our money. We'd like you to have it all, but whatever you have to do. And uh, my theory was that I wanted the people to enjoy food and not go hungry instead of. Uh, giving you of our money for food that I didn't eat. So I, you could use six club meals in a day. And oh, I wow. once literally just went and stood in front of the entrance to Danforth. And as people walked up, I'm like, are you out of club meals? Do you need money? And I would just club six people into Danforth, <laughs> just random strangers and be like, okay, I'm good. Cause at one point I had, I mean, the meal plans were insane. I think it was like the most expensive one was like $2,500 for one person for three months. Cause yeah. it was for, per semester that was a lot it's an insane amount of money for food for one per- it's insane amount of food and you know all the freshman parents they see like 14 meals a week and they're like oh my god but there's 21 meals in a week and my baby's gonna starve and so they buy them the most expensive meal plan it's more food than anyone can eat oh it was possibly insane. so and i know that it turned into when i was a upperclassman that we'd get the underclassman that we knew had a lot of money left over we'd be like hey so uh, i'm out of meal plan <laughs> so I'm gonna take you out to lunch. This is an understanding that we're going to have. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's really, really light bullying. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it's like like this is gonna be a good time, but you're still gonna give me your money, especially because like it was the people that I worked with at, at ITS. So I'd be like, okay, so you, I'm your supervisor technically, so you're gonna give me a meal plan, and I'm not gonna write you up for that thing that I just saw you do. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I was the worst supervisor there ever <laughs> because I really didn't care mm-hmm. and I didn't do anything that was supervisory except for I wrote a couple trainings and I told people how to do things, but yeah. that was it. I would say I was pretty like, so I was a core group of me and a, my core group of friends. That's really where I kind of found my place at college um, was I started working there and I, that's where I like the friends that I still talk to to this day were the people who work there. Um, and that was really my core friend group who also happened to all be the student leads there. So we kind of banded together as like coworkers and friends. And so for us, it wasn't really a job. It was just like hanging out with our friends and getting paid. Yeah. But conversely that instead of like goofing off, we, I mean, we goofed off a lot, but we also took it very seriously because of that. Right. Cause we're like, we all want to continue to hang out and work together. So we took it pretty seriously. Um, but there were still a lot of times that we just, like I think we forgot that we were in the middle of ITS and people could see us and we'd just be like screaming internet memes back and forth at each other. And <laughs> I'm sure we pissed off a lot of people there and we'd just be like, it's a group study area. We we run this place. Yeah, I watched a lot of Homestar Runner ads yep. at the yep. ITS center. Um, um, there was the time that my friend got drunk on his birthday and came, it was uh, middle of December was his birthday, so he got drunk and they came inside and I was working at the time with my friend and they threw a snowball at me inside. And so I ran around the desk before the snow could melt and scooped it back up and threw it right back at them. And the people who were in the library were kind of staring at us like, what the hell's going on? And I was like, don't worry, they're just drunk people. I'll kick them out. It's fine. I work here. It's all under control. And then I chucked another snowball at them. Because it is a library. Yeah. Which is weird because I never thought of it as a library, but it's part of the library. It is. T- it's, t- it's technically in Rush Rees. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, it's a ridiculous thing. But for me, it was like, I don't want to, for me, it was, I don't want to hang out in my dorm or I can't find anywhere. I would go sit there and study when I wasn't even clocked in because if I couldn't (laughs) find anywhere to study during exam week, I'd be like, I'm stealing this table over here. This is where I'm studying now. Mm -hmm. 
Good. I'm glad I'm not the only ice chewer. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm killing that ice real fast. Um, yeah, so U of R food, I mean, I always, I never liked it when no. I was there. And although I did learn a lot because that's where I tried Thai food for the first time. Mm-hmm. Was They brought it in. They, they had- brought in King and I. And it was the first time I ever had it. I'm like, what is this weird Chinese food? What the hell's <laughs> going on with this stuff? For a while, they had a Euro station, or however you pronounce it, G-Y-R-O. Euro. I would pronounce it Euro. Euro. Yes. I think, yeah, I've been told that's the correct pronunciation. Um, so they had a Euro station at Douglas, and it was amazing. I ate, And it was like real tzatziki sauce. It was very good. I ate there probably way too much. Sounds pretty delicious. Um, but it's funny because I actually, so I told you I was working at the bakery while I was at school, and then when mm-hmm. I graduated, I went full-time there. Uh, and the bad thing about the bakery is that I would eat cupcakes for breakfast because when we made our batches, we'd usually wind up with enough batter left over to make like a little third of a cupcake. Like picture like a muffin top sized cupcake. That's mm-hmm. basically what it was. It was a little third of a cupcake and it would come out and I would put frosting on it and eat. I mean, cause we start baking, we get in there at seven in the morning and the cupcakes are starting to come out by like eight, eight thirty. Um, so I would take these little odds and ends and put frosting on them and eat them for breakfast. Or there was one month where we did a French toast cupcake every Wednesday. So me and my coworker would split one in half and we'd eat that for breakfast. Perfect. Which sounds really unhealthy, but I was coming right off of eating nothing but U of R food and I <laughs> lost five pounds <laughs> switching from U of R campus food to eating cupcakes for breakfast. That is really saying something. Yep. Yeah. There, there was definitely one year where all, I think it was my freshman year, I ate exclusively foot-long meatball subs yep. and large red drink <laughs> sodas for, like, lunch. That's the problem is when you, even though you have all these options, you find the one thing that you like, and if everything else sucks, you're like, okay, well, I know this is going to be good, even though it's terribly unhealthy for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was bad. Um. <laughs> I did it the opposite way. Like, my freshman year, I did the the pit salads, I the ones that they'd, like, make for you, and they'd toss and put it in a little plastic bowl. Like, I love those. Those are really good. I get those all the time. And then they renovated and the salad bar went to crap. So then I just started getting Philly cheesesteaks instead. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the, the finger subs were really popular when I was there. Yep. It was finger subs, cheese and bacon. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was like, that was the thing. So unhealthy. Oh, or yeah. Did they, have, uh, did they have the Meliora when you were there with the burgers with Mel sauce? I don't think so. I mean, they, people use that term, mm-hmm. but... It was only people I hated that used that term on a regular basis. So Mel sauce was basically like, (laughs) it was basically chipotle mayo, except everyone called it chipotle mayo, but it wasn't, it was runnier. It was more like a ranch consistency. Oh. It was basically, but it was basically, because you would, it tasted really good to dip your fries in it. Uh, But one year they tried to get rid of it and people went nuts. And there was like a scandal where like, you, I, I had friends who like knew somebody who worked at Meliora and they get like they smuggle out jugs of the metal sauce like it was like a cult status <laughs> on campus was the smell sauce it wasn't that great it was a it was a, a fancy chipotle aioli basically right of course uh, but they tried to get rid of it and people lost it so they had to bring it back oh wow there was also there was the time when uh I don't even remember what it was trying to say but the menu for the Meliora uh listed um, a dish that included mescaline tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember what they were originally going for, but we were like, wow, that sounds um, interesting. Yeah, it sounds invigorating. Yeah. <laughs> um, although mescaline is a green, if we're being technical. Technically, you know. Yeah, it sounds good. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a weird place. And having gone back and visited, now that there's like a Starbucks on campus, mm-hmm. I really want to own a Starbucks on a college campus. Oh my God. I spent so, but, but that was the thing is cause like I said, the meal plan was use it or lose it, especially, uh, you know, the second semester when you were going to lose your declining dollars as well. 
I was up to going to Starbucks probably twice a day just to use up my meal plan. And then I oh, graduated yeah. and I realized how much Starbucks actually costs. And I'm like, I can't afford this. No. I think I can count on one hand the number of times I've gone to Starbucks in the past year. And in college, I was just like twice a day. Oh, yeah. And it's it's especially the expensive drinks are just mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, that was $6. Yep. Well, and I'm not. So I used to not be the type. This is the thing that really irks me is I'm not usually the type to be like Starbucks is overpriced because I used to I like to get the shorts, sure. which not a lot of people know about. Um, it's great when I order it at Eastview and there's a bunch of like girls around because I'll pick up my little short latte and they'll be like, oh, my God, it's so cute. Oh, my God. But I just like it because it's less liquid. And to me, it's a better ratio of coffee to milk. Yeah. Um, which is why I'll either get a short or a double tall because I, I like the ratio with more uh, coffee in it. But so my normal drink if I go there, which is a treat now, is a double tall soy vanilla latte, which I have to do the soy because I'm lactose intolerant. Mm-hmm. And it comes to like five something, which mm-hmm. I understand I'm doing a milk upgrade. I've got a flavor shot. I've got the extra shot of espresso. But like five dollars for a freaking latte is a little too much for me. And especially from Starbucks. Yeah. Where the quality is really not mediocre. that great. Yeah. When you can go to, you know, an actual quality coffee shop and get a real Ten cappuccino. Times better, yeah. A real cappuccino for four dollars. Mm-hmm. And it's... You feel so much better after. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, they actually care about what they're doing. Yeah. And they're not just some punk kids who don't. Just don't give a crap. Yeah. And the can... most ridiculous thing to me about Starbucks is that uh, none of their flavored drinks are gluten-free. Because my mom's gluten intolerant, so I know way too much about this. Uh, their flavor syrups actually contain uh, something. I think in the natural flavoring, it contains a gluten ingredient. Oh, come on. So their flavor syrups are not gluten-free, which is, you know ridiculous that somebody who can't eat wheat can't have a freaking coffee drink that's completely ridiculous it is i I don't get that at all yeah all right so on that lack of disgusting (laughs) you know starbucks conversation we're going to take our second break and i'm going to get my third drink because the first that last one was i gotta catch up man yeah see i'm going (laughs) fast all right back in a few so i spent the break um, one making um, margaritas, which are delicious. So we've moved on to margaritas, and I'm I'm a margarita connoisseur. Yeah, yeah. So uh, any of my friends will tell you that I, I I know enough about tequila to I don't even know that much about tequila. I I can tell you the three different types. I can tell you how it's made. I can name like three brands. But to the average person, that's like, oh my god, you must know so much about tequila. Uh huh. So I just roll with it, and I'm like, yeah, I'm an expert. Yeah, like yeah. I can pass as a beer nerd now. Yep. But if I sit down with anybody who really knows what they're doing, <laughs> and you're like, nope, <laughs> nope, not at all. Um, yeah. So we we made margaritas. Um, yours is a um, fairly traditional margarita. Yeah, pretty straightforward. Yeah. Um, this one uses a uh, reposado tequila. I'm a big fan. I I so I know that it's kind of this is the other reason why people say that I know about tequila because I'm a snob. I know that reposado, you know, that's okay for mixed drinks, and I know that. Um, for like an añejo, people are like, "Oh my god, you don't mix that!" But I like making margaritas with reposados or añejos. I think they taste good because you can't taste the tequila, and you're like, "This drink has nothing in it." And then right. you get halfway through, and you're like, "Oh, there it is." <laughs> yeah, and it adds a little dimension to it. Yeah. So yours, we went straight. Um, I don't have anything exciting. I have a espolón is a nice simple base. Yeah. Um, but what I did with mine, I was actually out with these guys uh, last night. Um, the the gentleman from Soltado Tequila. Um, which is a local brand. I don't know if I've talked about it before on the podcast, but... Um, I was going to say, ni- that's the first I've heard of it. Yeah, real, real nice guys. It's a, a local brand. that uh, The spirit's made in 
Mexico and infused in Mexico, and it's a añejo tequila with uh, infused with serrano peppers and cinnamon. So I went half of the uh, espolón and half of that in the margarita, and uh, which if I could have spicy food, that would be right up my alley. Yeah, and you can smell the pepper. <laughs> it smells very good. But that's the thing, is just being able to, just the fact oh, that you can say yeah. añejo makes people think that you know about tequila. Oh, it really does sound good, doesn't it? And when you can say, oh, the, you know, the, the plebeians that have mixto tequilas. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. This. I, was, I, I was telling somebody, I can't remember where I was, I was explaining to them, <clears throat> to them the difference between those and like why gold and silver is different but from Blanco, Reposado, and Yeho. And they're like, wow, you must know so much about tequila. And I'm like, well, I know I like drinking it. <laughs> And I've told you the entirety of what I know. <laughs> I feel like, but that's fair though. I feel like, uh, you know, I tell people I like tequila and it makes me sound like a party girl or something, but everyone has that one alcohol that they like to sip. Like for most of my friends, it's whiskey or scotch or bourbon. Um, but for me, like the only alcohol that I can sip and enjoy is tequila. Sure. Which, it's yeah. it's surprisingly interesting. I had a really good one last night at Cure. Um, Donnie Clutterbuck, the bartender there, mm-hmm. and also president of the u.s bartenders guild chapter here in rochester because he's amazing which is a thing by the way i don't know if everybody's heard of this i think he told me about it last time i went to cure yeah it's a really cool group Uh, they do a lot of cool events they bring in a lot of interesting sponsors and um if you're really into cocktails or you happen to be a cocktail professional and don't know about it already um get a hold of him and join it's really really cool and even if you're just into drinks, you should definitely join. It's awesome. Wait, you can join if you're not a professional? Absolutely. Just, well, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, I mean, there's a lot of cool people there, too. That's I mean, Well, yeah. I mean, so for me, I think uh, the biggest thing about, this is going to sound terrible, the biggest thing about drinking, the best part of it is the people <laughs> you meet. Uh, oh, for sure. Because it's, I think it's highly underrated to just go somewhere and sit at a bar and talk to somebody. And you, you know, you just, that's how I've learned so much of my drink recipes and just, you meet interesting people, uh, wherever you go, especially if you're on vacation, if you're out of town, especially if you're in a tourist town, just sit at the bar and chat with the bartender. You will hear the most amazing stories. Uh, so I go to Disney a lot as I'm sure you've all seen on Twitter. Well, that that was going to be one of the next topics. So (laughs) look at that. That's a, that's a supernatural transition. Uh, I I knew I was psychic. I could tell. Uh, but so uh, my family goes to Disney so much so that we are regulars with certain bartenders there uh, because we have a problem. Uh, but the last time we went there, last two times we went there, we went to a different restaurant and sat at the bar there. And the guy working there told us he used to live in Chicago and he used to work at the House of Blues, I think he said. And he used to sure. do table service for all these famous people. And he was telling us all about like John Bon Jovi and all these people that he used to do table service for and his whole life story. And it's fascinating. And you just get to meet the coolest people and hear the coolest things. And it's, I don't know, I'm an extrovert. So I like talking to people. I like learning their story. So to me, that's one of the greatest things is just chill out at a bar, have a drink, talk to the bartender, learn about somebody else's story. And it reminds you that like, you know, you think of service people as just like somebody who's there to get you your drink or your food or whatever. But you learn that these people are multifaceted people who have amazing stories and often amazing backgrounds. You'd expect somebody who's a bartender to just be like, Oh, you know, I've worked here and I worked there, but most of the time they have crazy things to tell you. Yeah. I met uh, one of the new bartenders at Cure last night and turns out she was one year apart from the bar, but she's gone all around the world. She's been, you know, in Boston and 
in Australia and a whole bunch of interesting places. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, you've had a completely different path in life than I have. Yep. And we're one year apart. Mm-hmm. And it gives you a, it humbles you. It gives you a different perspective because you realize everyone's story is different. Oh, yeah, and completely. I think I'm getting white girl drunk here. Everyone's story <laughs> is so different, you guys. <laughs> Let's go on a journey and let's go find ourselves. <laughs> I'm going to go eat, pray, love in Italy. <laughs> we're going to really infuriate the locals, <laughs> but we're going to be so American while we're doing it. I'm going to find myself and that's all that matters. <laughs> Fuck the locals. <laughs> <laughs> we're tourists. Margarita's in Italy. White people. <laughs> um, and on that note... Um, so Disney, Disney. So I've been sporadically throughout my life, mm-hmm. uh, maybe three or four times. I've flown down twice and driven down twice, mm-hmm. and I think that's about it. Um, but you're at this point, like you said, you're kind of a regular. I am. So my parents have a timeshare through Disney. It's called the Disney Vacation Club. <laughs> um, so it is. It's it is technically a timeshare. You pay for. You know, it's you you buy a piece of the property and you pay for it over a few years. But it's. Uh, it's on Disney properties. So you can stay at any Disney hotel that participates. I guess they're they're called villas. They're called the Vacation Club villas. So you get to but stay it's not it. like the huts that are on the river. And no, those are part of the the one. Those at the Polynesian are part of the DVC, but they're insanely expensive. I was thinking the ones that are kind of in between. Um, there was ones that were in between uh, the New Orleans Hotel mm-hmm. and Downtown Disney when you take the boat. Oh. Uh, <clears throat> Sorry, I actually know a lot about Disney. That's fine. I know way too. I tell everyone, I'm like, I'm not one of those Disney people. And then I drop tons of Disney You're knowledge. And I'm like, fine, people. I'm one of those people. Um, I th- Oh, Port Orleans, I think. Yeah, from Port Orleans to downtown Disney, you take the boat. Yeah, Port Orleans, is a, Port Orleans was the first entirely DVC resort, I think. But when you take the boat, there's like buildings, like separate buildings on the river as you drive the boat down towards downtown Disney. Those I don't know because I know the Polynesian just built huts or like bungalows. Okay. Uh, I, I, we always stay at a Magic Kingdom resort, so right. I'm and not. And the Wilderness the... Lodge has some. Yes. Which that was always like, oh, we're staying at the campground. <laughs> um, the first, and the first time there. I ever went to Disney, we stayed at Fort Wilderness. We stayed at one of the cabins, and we. This is the funniest thing is, um, so I actually found a co- like a year ago, I found a bag full of disposable cameras and film in my parents' house. No way. And I took it to CVS and I had it developed and it was, uh, part of it was from when we lived in California. Part of it was my brother's wedding, but the grand majority of them were Disney. It turns out my parents, uh, this is what you did back in the nineties is my parents gave each kid a dis- two disposable cameras. So we got to take our own photos throughout the vacation. Um, and we have memories of this vacation. One of the memories that we had was that uh, to get around Fort Wilderness, we rented a golf cart. Yep, that's definitely still a thing there. And ever since then, I have wanted to drive a golf cart because we just had so much fun just tooling around the resort in this golf cart. So I got the photos developed and on my camera, one of the because they were labeled, so we could t- and you could tell who took each photo because of who was in it. And I was the youngest one in the family, so all my photos were like taken from a downward angle, and everyone looked really <laughs> tall. Uh, so on one of my cameras i had taken a picture of the golf cart and me and my mom were flipping through them and we came to the golf cart we were like oh my god just flipped out at this stupid picture of a golf cart that's awesome um but yeah so for i have good memories of fort wilderness 
Um, but so we go down about twice a year cause my parents have this timeshare. So yeah. it's, it's nice cause it's not like you have a week that you have to go down. Uh, you have points and then you can spend these points and certain resorts are worth more points than others. Uh, the nicer ones are worth more points. If you go during the off season, it's less points. Um, so we typically go down about twice a year, uh, and it kind of started by accident. So actually when the bakery closed, Mm-hmm. We hadn't had a vacation in three years because it was, you know, you you don't really get to take vacations when you run your own business. No, pretty much. So we did the Rose Bowl thing of like, I'm going to Disney World. And <laughs> my dad booked a vacation to Disney World. Had a blast. Uh, and then uh, the next month, it was Canal Days in Fairport. And there's that red church on the corner. And they were having a raffle for a timeshare in Kissimmee, which is right near Disney. And my mom... It's right near Disney, but completely non-associated in an awful, awful place. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Orlando's... I've never been to downtown Orlando, Orlando, but everything outside of Disney is just kind of like, eh. Oh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, So my mom went there because she has some relatives. She's she's from the Fairport area. She wanted to look up some genealogy information about relatives and talk to the people there about that. And they were like, oh, enter our timeshare. It's $5. So they were so nice to her and talked to her a lot that she was like, sure, I'll enter. I'll pitch in five bucks. I'll enter the timeshare. She gets a call. She won five days at a kiss me timeshare, uh, which we were, and she was going to be like, thanks, but no thanks. Like we, we can't take another vacation. And then I looked it up and it was right during the dates of the Epcot food and wine festival. Oh boy! So we went down there, and at some point during that trip, we ended up doing the DVC presentation for Shits and Giggles, and my parents decided, this sounds like a good idea. Let's buy into it. So now we are Disney timeshare owners. Um, it's 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 a fifty year deed, and they have it in three <laughs> contracts. So they can split it between me and my brothers. So I joke that now, years. I because it's for a timeshare, you buy into the property for a certain amount of time, yeah, and yeah. they bought one was that was newly built. So it's it's fifty years. So I have an wow. inheritance. I, I'm, I'm a I'm a trust fund Disney timeshare yeah, baby. Look at that. <laughs> look at fancy Chelsea. I, you know, if you ever want to go to Disney, I'm your girl. Um, <laughs> But so we go down there about twice a year, and it usually coincides with the Flower and Garden Festival and the Food and Wine Festival, which is, if you've never been during the Food and Wine Festival, it's amazing. Well, it's supposed to be kind of a madhouse, isn't it? I mean, uh, aren't there tons of people? So the first time we went down there during Food and Wine, it wasn't that bad. This past year we went, and we were there for the opening weekend. And uh, it's fine if you go... You have to time it right. There's really no such thing as an off-season for Disney anymore, because the economy is getting better, and they run specials, so they're pretty right. busy all the time. Turns um, out Disney's good at business. Yeah, right? Who would have thought? Yeah. Uh, do not go opening weekend or closing weekend or just pretty much any weekend. Just if you're going to go <laughs> from out of town, go during the weekday because we were there opening weekend and all the locals showed up. And it was like, I'm not, you know, I mean, I I drink a lot when I go to Disney. I have the hashtag drinking through Disney to track all my exploits. Which is highly entertaining, I do have to say. It's, I I mean, I have fun. I'm the one doing the drinking. <laughs> um <laughs> And I had, you know, I'd seen some people online complaining about it. And I'm like, I don't, you know, I, I'm, I know my limits. I get drunk, but I am at Disney. It's not like I'm acting belligerent or like climbing the Mexico pavilion like some guy got caught doing on YouTube. Somebody, oh, really? Yeah, somebody posted a video on YouTube of somebody climbing the the steps of the Mexico pavilion. Like, I understand if you got caught protesting in front of Norway that they're building a frozen <laughs> ride instead of the Norway ride. Yeah, right. That, that, uh, that would be me. par for the course, actually. I don't think they'd, they'd catch They'd just be like, yeah, we understand. Yeah, we, we, um, we get it, but, you know, let it go. Yeah. Let it go. So, <laughs> I see what you did yeah, there. Yeah, see, see, see that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I was there opening weekend, and it was 
it was a frat house atmosphere. The lines oh. were so long that I don't know how anyone even managed to get drunk, but it was it was not fun. We ended up bailing about halfway through the day and going to a hotel and getting a drink there. Yeah. Um, but if you ever get the chance to go for food and wine, it's very fun. They set up 30 kiosks throughout the World Showcase for different countries, and you get a little passport, and you can go. I mean, it's not free. You have to pay for it. Um but it's amazing food. It's and it's small bites, which is nice because if you're with a group of people, then you each get like a bite of. It, it's probably like five to seven bucks a dish. You buy one or two, you each take a few bites, and then you can go on to the next one. And it's you know you get surprisingly full, even though they're small bites. Uh, but you can stamp the passport. And so the first time we went, we tried to do all 30 countries in about four days. And I think we rolled onto the plane home. Wow. Uh, but it's very fun. The food is fantastic. And I think, you know, people think like, oh, it's Disney. It's a theme park. It's whatever. The food's not going to be that great. The food was amazing. Yeah. I think they also step up their game for that too. Because I think so. I've, I've eaten a fair amount of the food at Epcot at one point or another. Mm-hmm. And I think for, for a lot of people, it shows really well. But technically, it's, you know, it's certainly not some of the best of the type. Yeah. Like, for example... Before we before we started the podcast day, we went to Fiamma, which, mm-hmm. I mean, I've mentioned it here on the podcast before, and it's one of my favorite places in Rochester. Like the pizza they make at the Italian place, uh, whatever that place is called. Via Napoli, I think. Yes, yeah. Via Napoli. Yeah, it's like this. What we just had is so much better than what they well, do. Well, and so here's my thing about Epcot is because I am so I am one of those Disney people because I'm part of a Facebook group for DVC members and I follow like the Disney subreddit. What what? And <laughs> <laughs> I I'm yeah I am one of those Disney people, um, but so I feel uh, especially in the summer months Disney gets a lot of tourists from the Midwestern region, and I feel like uh, places like Italy, Canada, Mexico have restaurants that appeal to people who are not adventurous eaters because you know sure. it is the world showcase it's supposed to be international cuisine but time and time again i see people when people are like oh what's your favorite restaurant in epcot or what's your favorite restaurant in disney world they're like oh i love via napoli or napoli i've i've watched her accent i can't pronounce anything napoli uh they're like i love via napoli the pizza is amazing or like oh the steaks at la Celia in canada are amazing and to me, I feel like this is I've so I've never eaten at either of those. But my conspiracy theory is that people like those because it's like the food they can get at home. Sure. Only oh, a little bit elevated. So they're like, oh, it's so good because it's slightly better than what they can get at home. But it's absolutely. still familiar. Whereas I la- last year, or two years ago, when we went, we went to uh, Monsieur Paul in France. OK. And it was amazing uh it's you know it's it's the second floor above the chef de mickey or whatever the heck the the regular french restaurant is called it has it's a signature dining restaurant so it has a dress code you can't wear sleeveless shirts or flip-flops you know you have to dress a little bit nicer um but the food was fantastic so there are those signature dining experiences that you can seek out and you can get a really great meal but if you just stick to the beaten path of what people recommend, it's going to be like, well, this is like Applebee's, but a little bit nicer. Right. Yeah. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And if you're really hunting, you can find some interesting stuff mm-hmm. and at the very least unique stuff. Yes. Um, like if I were to make my list of favorite restaurants at Disney, it nine times out of 10, that would not show up on any like best dining at Disney lists. My oh, favorite so restaurants are usually the ones that are off the beaten path. Okay. Not a lot of other people recommend. And this is me being entirely selfish, but I like to keep it that way because I don't want them to get really crowded. (laughs) And, you know, the tequila bar at Epcot or at Mexico in Epcot. That's also one of my favorite. Now, is that outside or is that the one inside? Inside. That's inside. Which is why it's doubly good because it's inside. It's air conditioned. It has tequila. (laughs) Yeah. 
Usually full of like drunk screaming Midwestern housewives, but sure. you can put up with that. And then you ride the three caballeros I ride. I love that ride. Who, who does not enjoy a fine boat? I love the boat ride things in Disney. It's, uh, I'm sorry. So the three caballeros ride is the dumbest thing ever. It's, oh, it's awful. It's so dumb, but it's so much fun. Every time we go on it, like I don't do thrill rides. So yeah. I like the silly boat rides. And every single time we go, me and my mom just drag my dad on that ride. We're like, it's time for the three caballeros. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And because nobody's ever seen anything that they've ever done in any Disney product. Yeah. Except for at Disney World. I'm pretty sure that we actually had that movie on Laserdisc when Did I you grew really? up. Yep. So we had Song of the South. Ooh. <laughs> we had Song of the South. I don't know. Isn't if that technically what Splash Mountain is based it on? It is. Yes. So that's Splash Mountain. And they're like, oh, what a unique thing. This is so different. I'm like, no, there was a movie. Yeah. That's been erased from Disney history because compl- of how horrifically racist it Completely was. erased. <laughs> I mean, the slaves were so happy in that movie. Um, I've actually never seen it. It's actually a pretty good movie, and if I feel like it's one of those movies that they could cut or you know cut down or re-edit. No, no. Hmm. Um, so I was gonna say, my mom's a big fan of White Christmas, which is based off of another. Hey, hey, hey. let's be inclusive. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's that's not what the movie, just White Christmas. That's what the movie Chelsea. is called. It's the song "I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas" is from the movie White Christmas, but it's made it's, by the Westboro Baptist Church. It's based on <laughs> another movie, or it's a takeoff of another movie that was even more racist and had like a whole minstrel blackface scene. Oh, awesome! And White Christmas was like the toned down version <laughs> of that. But she loves watching it, and I'm like, "Isn't that that racist movie?" She's like, "No, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's okay." <laughs> Which it is. White Christmas is fine. White Christmas, um, they have a song. Well, okay, I will admit. They have a song about loving. They're like, oh, I'm going to the minstrel show. And I'm like, this is uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> it's 2015 It doesn't actually show the minstrel show like the one it's based on. So Yeah. Or, yeah, Song of South is a little, it's a little bit much, perhaps. Yeah. Um, tar Babies and things like that. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Um, so when, when you get a chance, you really should... Um, because you can't buy it legally, you should steal it online. I do. I somewhere I have an MP3 copy that my brother downloaded. Yeah, you should download yeah. and watch it. It's it's actually a good movie. In it's a good Disney movie. Yeah. Um, but you can see why they that's, banned it. I feel that's the dilemma. So, because I'm a film major, I geek out about random things like this. But it's like uh, Birth of a Nation. Oh sure. Is one of the greatest movies ever made in terms of filmmaking techniques. It was groundbreaking at the time. It was the first movie to be made that was like feature length and had all these different groundbreaking film break uh, filmmaking techniques and narratives and things like that it's also horrifically racist well horrifically racist and propagandist and yes everything else so we but you know man we, it, it can still be impressive we and that's the thing is i feel like we would have watched the whole thing in class if it wasn't so terrible but so instead we just watch clips and be like this is an example of good filmmaking ignore everything that's on screen right now except for the shots and camera angles and just don't listen to the words. Right. It's it's like some, yeah, some like weird uh, rock music that I might listen to in high school. Yep. Like if you just don't listen to the angsty teenager angry words, <laughs> it's actually a pretty good song. Or like Christian rock where you're like, this is a really good beat. Just don't listen to the words where it's like, oh, I love Jesus. I yeah. mean, no offense if you do love Jesus, no, but I'm I mean, not he's a, a Christian cool, rock person. Right, he's a cool <laughs> yeah. guy and everything. But um, but Christian Rock gets a little over the top for me sometimes. South, yeah. South Park? Did you watch South Park? Yes, all? Faith Plus One. Faith Plus One, <laughs> yeah. One, one of my favorite episodes. Endlessly entertaining. Um, that is a great one. Absolutely. <laughs> so so Food and Disney, you, you were there last time, and the Food and Wine Festival actually brings a lot of celebrity chefs and it celebrity does. food people around. It does. Um, so when I was there... 
they were i think i just missed this but there's this abc show called the chew i think oh the chew yes and they were filming segments of the chew in epcot because they had a special they had two special booths um that were based on that uh TV show, which I've never seen it, but they were based on the TV show. Sure. And one of them had, I still remember this because I'm not a, so I'm not a huge salmon fan. I really like salmon. I've, I like salmon better raw than I do cooked. Um, yeah. I like it smoked. Yep. Like cold smoked. I like mm-hmm. a lot, but when it's, I'm not a big fan of cooked and salmon's probably my least favorite of the fishes. Yeah. My mom has, she's gotten, I mean, cause I don't really, I, I'll be honest. I'm not really a very good cook. I go home for dinner a lot cause I live five minutes away from my parents. So my mom is very good at cooking it, so it's not too dry. Um, I really prefer it in sushi form. But so one of the booths last year at the Food and Wine Festival had salmon made in a sous vide. Uh, I have a sous vide machine. Oh man! So I so my mom cool. had never heard of it before, and I knew I knew what it was. I'd never tried it. Uh, so it was salmon made in a sous vide, and it was amazing because it had the same texture. It was so moist, and it had the same texture as sushi salmon, but it was fully cooked. Um, so I think that's the, every so often she'll remember, uh, you know, she's been meaning to get one for a while, but every so often she'll turn to me and be like, what's that fancy salmon thing you said I should get? And I'll be like, it's a sous vide. What, it's a salmon <laughs> yeah, thing. It's a, ter- it's a salmon thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it was, it was amazing. And that was the one, th- I feel like that was the one thing that turned me, like, I had a friend who did, he made like steaks with it and he'd send me pictures and I'm like, great, it looks like a steak. Like, I don't see the big deal. And then I tried it and I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. What um, did I do? the I did the other day. I did, um. We made carnitas uh, in the sous vide machine. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we loaded it with seasoning and we sous vide and then you uh, you skim off the fat. Mm-hmm. You cook it in a in the oven to crisp it up after. Mm-hmm. And, man, that it turned out amazing. perfect. It's so yeah. good. I think that's the weirdest thing about it is because it cooks it but it doesn't really crisp it up or change the texture. So you... For the salmon, they didn't they didn't finish it on a grill or anything. They just cooked it in that and then gave it to you. So you look at it and you're like, "This looks like it's raw salmon," but you eat it and it's amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah but that's the sort of that's what's nice about the food and wine festivals. Uh, you you know, it's small little bite sized portions, but you get amazing things like that. Like they had a Brazil booth that had pork belly, and I think oh, I got I that Brazil. three times because it was basically like eating a slab of bacon, mm. crispy crispy bacon, and it was amazing. So if you like crispy crispy pork belly um i'm gonna give you another place you should go to so i'm gonna kind of pepper our conversations with random local places that's, you should oh go that's to. fine um, i'm all about disney and local so this yeah. is the perfect conversation <laughs> right local disney conversation <laughs> in rochester um so for super super crispy pork belly you should try a latino i've never heard of that which is on chai Lai ave okay that's um, probably why i've never heard of probably why I will um, admit to being an East Side girl. So Chai Lai Ave just—it's in the city, mm-hmm. just off of 490. Okay. I mean, just off of 390. Sorry, and um, just towards the end of the city, it's um, pretty accessible. Uh, Dominican food. Oh. And they do um, chicharrones, which is essentially deep-fried slab of pork belly <sighs> meat on. Oh my god. And it's shatteringly crispy that sounds amazing and it, when you chop it up and put it on your rice and beans with your roast pork and all that stuff it's oh it's heart stopping that sounds well literally oh, it's, because it's, it's pork belly it's so good <laughs> um that sounds amazing but that's one of those places where there's very few places that really make uh, chicharrones very well mm-hmm. and uh, that's one and one we had recently was uh the empanada shop empanadas empanada stop stop shop shop uh, Monroe. Okay, never mind. The one in Monroe. Okay. Uh, which is um, 
kind of across the street from the Texas barbecue place. Yes. Right near Aladdin's. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a they do a pork belly uh, chicharrones there as well, which is like super crispy. That sounds amazing. Uh, crunchy even, mm-hmm. and you kind of hack it apart and you crisp it over your rice and beans. Oh, it's just delightful. Now I want. Mexican, Dominican, whatever that is. <laughs> mm, actually, that's Colombian. Colombian, okay. Yeah. Um, and I think actually the only, as far as I know, only Colombian restaurant in Rochester. I was going to say, that's, I hadn't even realized that was a, uh, this is going to sound terrible, but I hadn't even realized it was a separate cuisine that could be considered Colombian cuisine. <laughs> yeah. And I think when you, when you look at a lot of these South American countries, we really have kind of half a Brazilian place. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it, I mean, you, you can't get any decent, Latin, Mexican, Tex-Mex, Dominican Republic, whatever, you know, whatever. Well, I mean, that's kind of where I disagree. I think we actually have, we have a pretty good Puerto Rican Dominican population here. I Well, okay, I would agree with that. Um, in terms of anything like mainland south of the border, I'm a little bit spoiled because I lived in California for two years where you can stop at any random gas station hole in the wall and get the most authentic Mexican food you've ever had in your life. Sure. So for me... Nothing, almost nothing in Rochester can compare. Well, I've got I've got a few places you should try. All right, lay so on this, me. Here, here comes the local angle again. Um, for Mexican food, I've got three places you should try. Okay. Um, Itacate in Penfield. I do like Itacate. Which I like. Yeah. Good people, uh, home style food. Mm-hmm. Certainly not fancy, but it's um it's a really comfortable, nice place to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the newer places, uh, Guacamole in East Rochester. Somebody was just, I think my dad was just telling me about that. Yeah, it's kind of Chipotle style, but yeah. they do it in a more Mexican, straightforward way. Which is way. nice because East Rochester is right near me. Yeah. I mean, I don't like going to East Rochester, but for Mexican food. I'm not sure anybody there. likes going to East Rochester. <laughs> no offense to East Rochester, of course. Um, but, I mean, it's just kind of there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's kind of Chipotle style with Mexican, Mexico City style ingredients. Mm-hmm. And then, which I just went to for, for the first time, is. Uh, Rio Tomatlan in Canandaigua. They're amazing. Which is actually, it's They're fantastic. I, will, I did a whole podcast about I will that. admit, if I had to pick, so if I had to pick my best Mexican food in, in Rochester, I would say Rio Tomatlan or La Casa. La Casa I had some troubles with because I had to request things be brought out mm. without cheddar cheese on it and other things. I'm like, I, I don't like that because I, I know they're angling more Tex-Mex and yeah. more Mexican-American and that's okay. It's just not for me. Mm-hmm. I don't like Mexican American food. Yeah, I think uh, generally speaking. So I think it really depends on what you order. Like I've gotten some things there that I'm like not a fan of, and some things that are fantastic. Um, but if you ha- if I had to pick one in Rochester, I'd say Rio Tomatlin, hands down. You're so white, fantastic. by the way. Fantastic. Hmm? You're so white, by the I way. I know. I've because of the way I'm pronouncing these things. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I try not to go like over the top like i actually know how to speak the language pronouncing mm-hmm. it properly but i try not to no i put on no pretense i have a very rochester accent and i'm very white and i can't pronounce yeah, anything yeah. foreign yeah i try to at least halfway pronounce it correctly but i don't want to be one of those people that really la casa <laughs> <laughs> yeah like I try to say real tomatlan, but I I don't like real tomatlan. <laughs> I try not to do that. I just I, so <laughs> the only problem I've just kind of given up and been like, yeah, I'm white girl from Fairport with a Rochester accent. I'm gonna say anything horribly. 
Um, but the problem is that sometimes I will try to overcompensate for my Rochester accent and things that should have a flat A, I will pronounce without a flat A and Ooh, people yeah. will be like, oh, that's not how that's pronounced. But I'm trying to <laughs> hide it. <laughs> and it always happens in the wrong situations. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So you don't want to give away all your secrets in Disney. What's what's your what's your one of your oddball places um, that really is interesting to you. So one of my favorite restaurants is Citricos, which is in the Grand Floridian Hotel, which is where we usually stay because that's like our home resort for our timeshare. Um, <laughs> it's fancy. Uh, so <laughs> Citricos is like, I don't know. I feel like it kind of gets overlooked because the Calif- a lot of people recommend like the California Grill at uh, the Contemporary because that has... It's up on this roof, and you can see like the Magic Kingdom fireworks from there. And yeah. So Citricos is just—it's in the main lobby at the Grand Floridian. It's—it's it's a signature dining um, place. So, but it's a little bit of everything. They've got like seafood, steak. Um, but that's the place where we're a regular because a lot of times we'll just go sit at the bar and eat, and the bartender there knows us. And it's just good food. Like no matter what you get there, it's fantastic. Um, and it's—it's it's a fancy restaurant, but some you know they still take kids, so people bring their kids there. Um, it's. It's just all around, I think, a good experience because not a lot of people eat there unless they're staying on the resort. So you can usually walk in and get in either at the bar or just sitting there. But the food is amazing. Yeah. It's not somewhere where like people are trying to book it six months out and it's packed. Uh, Now, if I had to pick absolute favorite, no holds barred, no considerations, it would be Victoria and Albert's, which is also the Grand Floridian. It is a triple A four diamond restaurant, which... Sounds impressive to me. Yeah, that's a lot of letters and yeah. diamonds. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are no children under 10 allowed. Yeah, screw those kids. <laughs> I mean, you'd think that going to Disney a lot, I'd be like, oh, children, they're fine. But no, screw those kids. No, I think the yeah. more you go, the more you the hate more you children. hate kids. Oh, yeah. it's the best birth control ever, going to Disney and seeing <laughs> screaming children. Um, so Victorian Alberts is, it has three different rooms. It ranges from a seven to a 10 course uh, fixed price menu. You can get an optional wine pairing, and there's optional upgrades for certain courses. But it's one of it's one of those deals where you have like two or three choices, and you pick everything that you want at the. They give you the menu, and you pick every course that you want, and then they just bring it out to you and they face it. Yeah, which is pretty standard yeah. for a uh, fixed price menu, yep. uh, where you get an option, especially for the seven and ten course ones. Mm-hmm. You usually get options for the courses mm-hmm. at the fanciest of places. Like we don't really have a lot of that here. Sometimes you get one like um, Cura does a. French menu on yep. Thursdays where you get three courses for $35 and you pick one of two courses each time, mm-hmm. which is, seems really cool. I just haven't actually sat down yeah. and done it yet. This is like that. So you get, technically you get two choices, but it's, so on one side of the menu, they have two different choices. And then on the uh, right side of the menu, they have a vegetarian option. And sometimes the vegetarian option is the same as one of the choices. Sometimes it's different. So for some things you can have up to three choices because you can substitute any of the vegetarian options. Um, and it is the best meal I've ever had in my life. I, I mean, had, it sounds fantastic. It's amazing. Um, the We've gone there twice, and both times we went there for my main course, I have had a combination of Kobe and Wagyu beef steaks done to the, you know, and I just say, however the chef wants to do it, because I'm... <laughs> Part of me just wants to like say well done just to see the look on the waiter's face and be like, no, I'm <laughs> fucking with you. Womp, womp. <laughs> but so I, you know, I always say, however, the chef wants it done. So it comes out like somehow completely warm throughout, but still bright red. And it is the best steak I've ever had in my life. It was amazing. Um, 
best meal I've ever had in my life. All the wine pairings are amazing. They actually do th- between the courses. They do three bread pairings. Where it's really bread. bread it is a specific bread with a separate butter paired with it. Awesome. And one of the breads I remember it was the chef was from the sous chef was from Germany, so he flew in the specific flour and grains from Germany that his grandmother <laughs> used to make to make this bread. <laughs> It's it's just it's stuff like that. Like it's it's the type of restaurant where you stand up to go to the bathroom and somebody is like immediately there to take your napkin and then you come back and they pull there's somebody to pull the chair out for you and another person to put the napkin in your lap and it makes you feel like a princess and it's just the food is amazing. It's yeah. you roll out of there. It's so much food, but it's amazing. <laughs> so if money is ever no object, I mean I go there with my parents because obviously money is an object for me. Um <laughs> The two times we went there were special occasions. It yeah. was celebrating something, so it was a very special occasion. Uh, but if you ever win the Powerball or anything like that, then I recommend you go to Disney World and you go to Victoria and Albert's and eat everything. Yeah, I tried. I re- I was Powerballing that night, mm-hmm. and shockingly enough, I didn't win. Wow, I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I there was actually so tangent wise there was a um, a app on the. I think it was the LA Times. I saw that where you could pretend to play. Right. Yep. I threw oh God, it had to have been four hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars of fake money at that. Yep. And the return was like thirty thousand yep. dollars. And it was so Same. amusing. You're like, click, click, click. Oh, I lost twenty million dollars. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't invest my life savings in the lottery <laughs> tickets. Who probably knew? not a good idea. Yeah, who knew? Oh, my favorite part of that is that the first winning ticket that came out was from a, a neighborhood in California where the median income was like $70,000. It went to someone who really needed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had personally some decent experience in Disney, but never anything that was truly mind-blowing. I think my favorite thing was the uh, German food mm-hmm. in Disney, the like the beer hall. Yep. I really enjoyed that when I was younger. Um, that's the thing so I feel like I go to so my favorite park is Epcot we spend most of our time when we go there in the Epcot or the World Showcase and you get these you know you get people who are like oh well it's just Disney it's a Disney-fied version of it it's which is true of course you know it's it's the happy shiny version of everything Um, but what I like is that (laughs) they they bring in college students from the host country to work there so there's a wine bar in Italy and every time we go there we end up chatting with the the people who work there and they're from Italy and it's fascinating conversations. You get to talk to people from a different culture than you. Uh, my favorite was when one of the girls at Italy told us that she was, she had a week off and she was telling us that she was going to go tour America. And, you know, being from Rochester, we're clearly very sensitive to the distances between things, particularly Rochester and New York city. And being from Europe, you might not realize how far apart everything in America is. Oh yeah. Uh, so it's she'd ridiculous. been in, she'd been in Florida for like two weeks top. She was like fresh off the boat. And she was telling us about how she had a week free. And she was like, I'm going to go to New York City and visit some friends. And then we're going to drive to Toronto for a day. And we were like, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she, you know, she was like, oh, what do you mean? And we're like, well, we're from the area. And let us tell you, that's not a day trip. <laughs> no. You're going to need. So, you know, we, we were like, you're going to wow. have to readjust some of your plans. New York to Toronto is like eight and a half hours. Probably. And she was thought, like, oh, day trip to Toronto. We're like, this is not Europe. Like it's driving there is a day. Apart, yeah. Like you might be able to eat dinner when you get there. Yeah. And that's about and that, it. And, th- and then drive all the way home overnight. <laughs> Technically, if you're counting 24 hours as a day. Uh, but it's really fun to be able to talk to people. And like I said, with the bartender conversation, yeah. you just get to know them. Um, 
I think my favorite experience there, which did not involve me at all, was being in the Germany Pavilion. And like I said, because it's Epcot, you get a lot of drunk people. Uh, of course. <laughs> so my favorite. So one of my favorite things is in the Germany Pavilion. They sell paprika chips, uh, which are sounds you can, fantastic. You can only get them in Europe. I've searched high and low in Rochester. I cannot find them. They're kind of like barbecue chips, but without that like weird fake smoke flavor. Right. I mean, paprika is delicious. They're amazing. I love them. I think I have an unopened bag still sitting in my pantry, which I've been oh, saving for the right awesome. moment. Because uh, every time we go there, I buy at least two bags. And usually they don't even last the flight home. But somehow <laughs> this time <laughs> I had enough self-control. <laughs> Thanks, United, for not offering, or Southwest, either one, for not offering any snacks on your planes anymore. I but. do have to say, I'm a JetBlue person now. We do Southwest a lot because my dad has a Southwest card, but it sucks because none of the snacks they offer are gluten-free. So when I fly home with my mom, if she gets hungry, she's like, give me your paprika chips. See, JetBlue, popcorners all day are a day. Damn. Popcorners are the best. Southwest does, they do like some sort of like snack mix, which has Chex Mix in it, which is covered in flour dust. And then they do honey roasted peanuts, which are coated in flour. No, JetBlue's the way to go. So. I'm going to do my blatant advertisement for them because I flew them out <laughs> on San Francisco to San Francisco in, by the way, my words are going away right now. Um, it's the drinking episode. It's a okay. A little bit. So we did a trip out to San Francisco and we flew JetBlue and their snacks, I mean, although they're not phenomenal, but it's um, Terra chips, mm-hmm. the purple ones. Oh, fancy. So, you know, purple and sweet potato, I mm-hmm. think, mixed in the same bag. I mean, mm-hmm. that's pretty badass. Um, popcorners, which are... If you haven't had them, you really need to go to Wegmans and buy a bag of popcorners. I, I've heard of them. I don't think I've had them. Just go buy them. <laughs> um, it's pop. It's like the best version of a rice cake ever, mm-hmm. except for it's popcorn turned into a chip. I'm down with that. And if you eat the whole bag, you don't have to feel like you have to shoot yourself in the head after because it's popcorn, right? Yeah. And it's you know it's like five six hundred calories instead of like two thousand yep. if you eat a whole bag of Doritos. Not that I've ever not, done not that. Not that you're speaking from experience. Not <laughs> that I've ever done that. Um, but popcorners are delicious, and they serve those there. Mm-hmm. And then they also have a few other things. But if you ever want more, you just walk to the back and grab a bag. What? Like, they just have them sitting out I feel like baskets. if you tried that on Southwest, you get arrested for domestic terrorism. Right. <laughs> They're like, oh, you want some water? Just go grab. Just go back and grab a bottle and grab another <laughs> bag of chips. Enjoy. Have a good time. I will say my favorite thing about Southwest is because they don't do assigned seating. They have the queues. But I love it because... How can you like that? Because my dad... Because I always fly with my parents because I'm poor and I mooch off their vacations. (laughs) So my dad always does the early bird check-in, which means we're usually towards towards the front of the A group. And the best thing is that people will try to cut the line because they think the attendant's not going to say anything and they will publicly shame them. Oh, that's pretty there awesome. There will be the entire A group lined up in the terminal and somebody who's like B1 will waltz up and think all they'll look at is the one and try to get on the plane. And instead of just silently telling them that they need to wait, they'll get on the microphone and be like, sir, you're in the B group. You're at the back of the line. <laughs> and it's the best. It's like, it's the best shot in Freud or however you pronounce that. See, that's the first thing you've pronounced as not a white person. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, well, I do have German roots. I can do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think my favorite thing about JetBlue is that it's completely the opposite. Mm-hmm. And they actually go in order of row. Yep. So, like, they, they do the first class people first because they pay extra money. Mm-hmm. But everything else, like, oh, we're boarding the back of the plane first. And then they board the middle and then the front. 
So they do it in a logical manner? Right. Yeah. The only ones that do that because everyone That's the one thing about Southwest is it just turns into like a free-for-all because they're like, okay, you just pick your seat. Yeah. Have fun. This one's like, oh, this makes sense. Let's do that. Mm -hmm. Which I was talking to one of the local gentlemen who works for the airline and I was telling him it's... It's just they treat you just like a human a little bit. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> and it's not a lot. And it's a couple of extra inches of leg room and just like, oh, you need a little extra of water. Okay, just go grab it. It's great. Here's my theory about Southwest is that you cannot work for South... If you can't be a flight attendant for Southwest unless you're a sassy gay man. <laughs> and I mean sassy. Like, you have to pepper your safety announcement with references to your short shorts and... There's a lot of shade. Yeah. A lot of shade going on. And you cannot be a pilot for Southwest unless you have a Southern drawl like you were like born in the Texas Prairie. Mm Mm-hmm. Even if you, you know, if you're a Southwest pilot and you're from like Montana, they're like, okay, here's your class on how to be like, oh, welcome to Southwest. This is Captain speaking. I can't do the... That was was pretty perfect. I mean, I really felt like I was on a Southwest (laughs) flight. Normally I'm better at the really Western drawl, but I can't pull it (laughs) off right now. (laughs) Oh, we've <laughs> really margarita. we've really gone off the rails here. Um, <laughs> so Disney, <laughs> so di- so so food, um, food. It's good. I, yeah, food <laughs> food is good, and I think that the other one of the other food things I had was so you were involved in this weird pizza party thing that happened in Rochester. Yes. What in the hell was that? So my friend DJ Ali Khan, shout out if you're what, listening what to this. DJ something or other? Uh, he, so we went to U of R together and he um, actually, so this was an issue that uh, is kind of universal across multiple industries, but the pizza industry is kind of hurting right now because the price of dairy is through the roof. Price um, of everything they do is up the roof. The, the yeah. price of wheat's up. Yes. The price of dairy's up. It's kind of actually really unfortunate. And I feel like a what a lot of... So you probably are sympathetic to this being in tune with the food industry, and I'm sympathetic to this from the bakery. A lot of people don't realize that f- things like wheat and dairy and milk and eggs are a commodity, and the prices fluctuate... All the time. All the time. It's not It's not simple supply and demand. It's They can be traded. Like So I'm going to preface this with saying that I have a very simplistic understanding of this, like all financial matters. And if you've seen the movie Trading Places, you probably know just as much. Pretty much. But as far as I understand is that a commodity means that it can be, uh, I don't want to say traded like a stock, but it's subject to more uh, market forces than supply and demand. There's different things that can drive up and down the price of these things. For sure. uh, Which for a small business can be killer because it can make or break you because you don't want to raise... I mean, it's constantly fluctuating up, down. Sometimes they'll skyrocket. And you don't want to pass this price on to your customers, uh, but it can really screw you over if eggs or wheat goes through the roof and you're trying to keep your costs under control, but all of a sudden you're paying twice as much for eggs as you used to. Um, So a lot of pizza parlors have been suffering because the price of... Uh, dairy was through the roof in terms of when I say dairy, I mean milk, not eggs. Um, but so the price of milk was through the roof and that in turn drove up the price of cheese, which was just killing a lot of pizza shops in the area. <clears throat> so Ali Khan uh, came to me and said, look, I want to do this thing where we can get people out and about and into these places and buying pizza. So we came up with the, he, well, I say we, he came up with the idea of the pizza party uh, where it's kind of like a pop-up pizza party. You don't know where it's going to happen, but we, pick a different pizza place around town and we're like, Hey, show up. You're going to get some free pizza. <laughs> if you show up early enough, there's going to be music, you know, drink specials, crazy shirts was there giving away free t-shirts. We had a photo yeah. booth. Um, so it was kind of just like a spur of the moment thing. 
he messaged me two weeks before it was supposed to happen and was like, Hey, do you want to do social media for this thing? And I said, sure. I like pizza. Um, so <laughs> it was just kind of like a spur of the moment proof of concept sort of thing. Uh, so we did it at Dragonfly. People didn't know until the morning of that it was going to be a Dragonfly. Sure. And they showed up and we had free pizza and he was DJing. We had free t-shirts, photo booth. I was taking photos. We had a reporter from the DNC show up. Um, so I think it was definitely, uh, it was a learning experience. We had a few rocky bits cause it was the first time we did it and we were kind of figuring out what was going on. Um, but I think people had fun and we're hoping to do a few more. Yeah. It's a cool year. idea. Yeah. I mean, it's so simple and it's hard not to get behind. I mean, it's, I mean, just the name pizza party makes you think of like middle school and like going over to your friend's house and ordering a shit ton of pizzas and yeah. playing video games. Makes me think of those stupid, I mean. It, pizza party reminds me of the ice cream socials with the stupid yep. plastic cups and the wooden spoons. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh god, I remember those from like elementary. Oh school. man, maybe we should get those for the next one. Get that nostalgia bit going. Oh, that'd be so <laughs> the cool. The sherberts and the yeah, the, yeah, uh, chocolate ice cream. And it's definitely sherberts at that point, yep. and not sorbets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was that was the whole reasoning behind it was just kind of to get people out and about and eating pizza. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, so, so I think we're going to wrap up with some of my usual questions with so you're a rochester person i am born and what, raised what, what's your what's your places right now in rochester that you go to that's uh, that's a tough question because i feel like i have different circles so if i'm with my parents um i'm usually going out to dinner and because my mom is gluten intolerant we tend to go to restaurants that will accommodate her um so our favorites are I know it's a chain restaurant, but Biagi's mm-hmm. um, next door bar and grill does a really good job. I love ne- I'm actually having my birthday party at next door bar and grill and next door is really coming up right now too. They've hired some amazing talent there recently. I love it. I mean, I know people say like, it's you know, they're like, Oh, Danny Wegman's like pet restaurant. Like he just has it so he can go there and eat sushi, but it's the food is great. The people are great. Every time, almost every time I've gone, I think I can count, one time that I went there that I didn't have a good experience and that yeah. was on a Tuesday night. So, you know, not like the, I don't want to say not the a staff, but Tuesday night, I don't expect a good experience from any restaurant. It's, it's not a a, a night that people go out. Yeah. And it's yeah. uh it's kind of crazy. Like Wegmans is really investing in their town and the restaurants right now. Like in, mm-hmm. at Amore, they've, Oh yeah. They brought in Jerry Verasi who used to run two vine. Mm-hmm. They brought in uh, Pasquale Sorrentino who used to be the head chef at Branca. Mm-hmm. Um, Next door brought in Paul Vroman, who used to run Aunt Rosie's mm-hmm. and Brick and Motor Food Truck. Oh, man. They've brought in a lot of high-end Rochester talent in their restaurants. And it's kind of exciting to see what what that turns into. Because mm-hmm. I think right now the menus are still a little bit what they used to be. I'm interested to see what they turn into. And I hope they I hope it really does become more than what it is that would be my only complaint about next door is it's a small menu yeah and i you know i understand i that like a small menu though that's I don't true know about you so i think i think the only reason i complain about the small menu is because about two years ago they had a thing that was called a french onion soup and i say french onion because it was literally in quotes on the menu and i was like <laughs> well that's strange um but it was so it was one of those like deconstructed kind of soups. so they brought it out uh. to you and it had like a little like cracker and an onion gel and something and like a little bit of something in the or dollop of sour cream or something in the bottom of the thing and then they poured this uh broth over it uh and it was 
fantastic and I loved it and they have not had it since then. So that's when I say small menu, my complaint is really that they did not put my favorite item back on the menu this winter. Ever. Ever. Which yeah. It was a very personal complaint. So if you're listening, <laughs> Danny, I would like my French onion soup back next winter. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, come on now. Yeah. Um but so I love next door. Um but if I'm going out with my friends, I'll go somewhere like I like the refresher. Uh I like cure the bartender there is amazing uh, i do trivia every wednesday i say every wednesday but i've been slacking a little bit but i do trivia every wednesday at scotland yard see i need to i need to start going out for trivia again i like trivia i'm good at it because i got mm-hmm. random knowledge shit if you ever want to join my team yeah the other teams are in trouble if i show up because <laughs> i tend to fill out random knowledge for teams that don't have it oh but that's what yeah that's perfect that's we need the person who gets the random questions yeah and there's no reason i should know <laughs> you know, random history about Justin Timberlake. But you or, do. And I do. Yeah. There, there's no doubt about it. But And so that's what I like is I like the Geeks Who Drink Trivia because it's a varied format. And I like Scotland Yard because it's a bar. It's not, you know, I, I love the refresher. I love Cure. I love those fancy hipster places where you can get a beautifully made cocktail. But then sometimes I just like to go to Scotland Yard where there's no shtick. It's just a bar. Nobody's playing crazy music or making crazy cocktails i can just order a beer hang out and do some trivia and it's great but chelsea i heard you're a real hipster (laughs) (laughs) yeah but real hipsters like to get down and dirty sometimes yeah pbr (laughs) or more like i was gonna go yeah i was gonna go all breaking bad there pbr bitch (laughs) (laughs) yeah mr white science (laughs) oh god um, so yeah, I don't know. I feel like I don't really have one particular haunt. Like I'd say okay. Scotland Yard is the place I go to the most regularly, but okay. I think that's the greatest thing about Rochester is there's always somewhere new to try. Yeah. So there's places that I go back to kind of regularly, but, um, there's always somewhere new to try. Skylark yeah. though. Skylark will always go back and eat their meatballs. Thank you very much. I am a big fan of what they're doing there. They're amazing. Because it's a true dive bar. It really is. Without any airs. Oh, yeah. It's but amazing. They, they happen to make really good meatballs. I brought my parents there for meatballs at once, actually. And I brought them in and I was like, I'm going to warn you, this is a dive bar, but it's going to be amazing. Yeah. And, and it you're was. Gonna, you're yeah. going to have a whole meal for $7. Yep. And you're going to be really happy about it. When I worked at Apple, we actually used to do uh, Meatball Mondays. So every Monday around 9 o'clock, we'd show up there, get uh, ciders. It was, traditionally, it was a woodchuck crisp cider. Oh, boy, or No, that's... Angry Orchard crisp cider and meatballs and just bitch about work. And it was amazing. <clears throat> yeah, I think we tried to, I think some of us tried to do that for a little while. And I think that's kind of where we started talking a little bit online, too, because mm-hmm. I think it was me and a couple other people who were doing that. And you're like, oh, people are doing meatballs on Mondays again. <laughs> that may have been how we first met on Twitter. <laughs> I think we might have been talking on Twitter before, like on and off. And then it was like, oh, Meatball Mondays. Yep. Like, oh, that's now now there's now that's there's a thing. A thing. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. I haven't done that in a while, but I went there a couple weeks ago after having not been for a few months in Schmitty, the... Uh, bartender who used to be there on monday saw me and my friend and he was like oh my god i haven't seen you guys in forever so that's <laughs> i like places where you can show up and it's like nothing ever changed like even if you're, you haven't gone there for a couple months they still remember you yeah it's a it's a warm comfort where you see friends that are live halfway across the country that you never see yep. and you show up and everything's still exactly the same mm-hmm. like it should be 
Which, and you know, you talked about shopping local, so it does make me feel a little bad because I'm like, I haven't been here in a while. I'm not supporting you anymore. But the fact that they just pick up like nothing ever happened, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's a great feeling. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're going to stop because we're edging on an hour 45. Yeah, I think that's long enough. <laughs> which is pretty good because I think we can keep on going, but I'm going to stop. <laughs> so let's get in the plugs. So... Where can people find you, Miss Chelsea? Um, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find me on Twitter at aka Chela. That's aka C H E L A, which from, is pronounced completely different because you want to be special. Yes, well, because my Spanish or uh, in Spanish class in seventh grade, my uh, name was Chela, okay. which is where the also known as Chela comes from, not Echachela as everyone pronounces See, it. This makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> I realize now that nobody knows what I mean, but that's oh, where it no originally idea, yeah. came from. Um, and from there, you can find links to Exilista, which is my podcast, and Rochester Live, which There's is the so many X's in that name. Very hilarious TV show I write for. Yes, there are there are a lot of X's, but not three because that no, would make it weird. Certainly not three. <laughs> and yeah, I think that's it. Uh, you can uh, there's links to my blog on there. You want to send me an email? I got a link to my email address on there. I love hearing from people. I love talking to people in Rochester. So follow me, at me, send me a line, whatever you want to do. Pretty sweet. Yep. So um, thanks for coming over. Thank you for this having was me. This a good time. I think so. So hopefully we'll do this again, and maybe I can come over and be embarrassed by um, by period talk and everything yes. else. Yes. I'm, I'm the girl cast. As long as you don't mind talking about IUDs. Oh, I'm going to have a great time. <laughs> uh, so thanks for coming over. Thank you for having me.